0: I would like to call to order the November 14th, 2023, Loudoun County Board of Supervisors, Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee meeting. This room has a hearing loop. If you need hearing assistance, switch your hearing aids to telecoil mode. If you need a headset, we have those available as well. Please see the clerk to request one. Committee members will have three minutes to ask questions for all items with as many rounds as we need. THE PROPOSED CONSENT AGENDA IS AS FOLLOWS. ITEM 3, CONTRACT AWARD, TASK ORDER ROADWAY AND TRANSPORTATION DESIGN SERVICES FOR FEDERAL PROJECTS. ITEM 4, CONTRACT AWARD AND CAPITAL IMPROVEMENT PROGRAM AMENDMENT, ARCHITECTURAL AND ENGINEERING SERVICES FOR THE WESTERN LOUDON RECREATION COMPLEX. ITEM 5, CONTRACT AWARD ROADWAY AND CIVIL DESIGN SERVICES FOR THE ROUTE 50 NORTH COLLECTOR ROAD. ITEM 6, CONTRACT RENEWAL JOB ORDER CONTRACT FOR GENERAL CONSTRUCTION. ITEM 7, WAIVER OF AN AFFORDABLE MULTIFAMILY HOUSING LOAN PROGRAM REQUIREMENT FOR AN APPLICATION SUBMITTED BY SCG DEVELOPMENT PARTNERS IN THE 2023-2024 PROGRAM YEAR. ITEM 8, WAIVER OF AN AFFORDABLE MULTIFAMILY HOUSING LOAN PROGRAM REQUIREMENT for an application submitted by Wellington Development Partners and Cornerstones Housing Corporation in the 2023-2024 program year. Item nine, Reallocation of unspent community development block grant consolidated coronavirus funds. Is there a motion? I will make the motion to adopt the consent agenda. Is there a second? Second. Second by Vice Chair Sains. Madam Chair.
1: Yes, sir. I was gonna, and I forgot to ask you this earlier in the day, but I apologize. Would you be open to adding number 11, item number 11, to consent with the, the motion that's in the packet?
0: All right, let's see.
1: That's recommended by staff.
0: Item number 11 is the Muddy Branch Flooding Study. Does any member of the committee object to adding that? All right, then we'll add that. Um, and uh, let, let the record reflect uh, if we can do so that um, item 11 is now gonna be part of the consent agenda. So we have a motion by myself second by uh, Vice Chair Sains to add item 11 and uh, to move the entire consent agenda. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed say nay. That will pass unanimously. All right. We now go to information items item number one uh the monthly department of economic development report um buddy riser is here siobhan dana dana okay <laughs> right. uh welcome welcome back
2: good evening everyone uh some good news uh, earlier today inflation the inflation uh eased some in october the report Uh, The Federal Reserve uh, gives the Federal Reserve some evidence that the battle against uh, rapid inflation is working. The consumer price index slowed to 3.2% last month on a year-over-year basis, lower than the 3.7% in September and the coolest since July. The biggest driver of the decrease was energy prices. Uh, Nationally, jobs increased by 150,000 in October, the second lowest monthly increase in the past three years. Uh, The overall labor uh, participation uh, rate was 62.7 in October. That's uh, still down from pre-pandemic, but still pretty good. September is the most recent month for local unemployment data. The rate was 2.7 for Loudoun, 3.0 for Virginia, and 3.8 for the U.S. THE ONE AREA WHERE THERE IS SOME CONCERN IS IN THE COMMERCIAL REAL ESTATE MARKET, ESPECIALLY AROUND OFFICE, WHERE ABOUT $1.2 TRILLION OF COMMERCIAL REAL ESTATE IS TERMED POTENTIALLY TROUBLED. Uh, VACANCY RATE FOR OFFICE BUILDINGS IN MAJOR U.S. CITIES WERE AT RECORD HIGHS AND the LANDLORDS ARE WALKING AWAY FROM SOME PROPERTIES, EVEN AS CLOSE AS IN HERNDON. Um, Loudon isn't really very exposed to this trend because of our uh, product mix heavy with flex and data centers and our low office vacancy rate. We won't be as impacted as some downtown areas are. Um, right now, uh, we actually think that that is probably an advantage for us because the office market is seeing a real flight to quality and uh, the idea of being in a mixed use environment, especially uh, proximate to transit. Uh, So we think that that's a great thing for us. Uh, Our office vacancy right now is 6.9% compared to 16.6 in Arlington, 15.9 in Fairfax, and 15% in Montgomery County. The allowed in a retail vacancy is just 3.4, and both Flex and Industrial are just over 1%. So our market remains very strong. With that, I'll turn it over to Siobhan and Dana.
3: Good evening, Madam Chair. Um, EDAC has had a very strong and impactful year this year. Our ad hocs were, uh, were uh, very impactful. Our small business ad hoc led to uh, the creation of the Launch Loudon program, which has been instrumental in supporting and helping small businesses in the county. Our zoning ordinance ad hoc had over 75 amendments before the zoning ordinance went to the, uh, to the board. Uh, as you know, that was a three-year process for us. And, uh, you know, we look forward to being involved with the ordinance after it's adopted in December. Um, And we wanna thank you for approving the slate of nominees uh, that will come on in January of next year. And right now, our our cadence is that we are gonna be planning for next year with the Department of Economic Development, looking at uh, their strategy, how we can align for that, and what the county needs, what ad hocs need to bring forward to the board to do work next year. So very impactful year. Uh, a lot of hours by the commissioners, and uh, we look forward to continuing next year. And Dana,
4: thank you. I'll just add a few additional comments about the zoning ordinance rewrite. EDAC submitted a letter as input ahead of the October 30th work session and in advance of the December 13th hearing. And so, I just want to highlight a couple of things. First a sincere thank you to the Board of Supervisors, staff, and all the stakeholders who've been involved and who've worked so hard to improve the draft language of the ZOR, and I think we all see that um, coming to fruition through the process. The second point is EDAC looks forward to actively participating in an upcoming data center, ZOAM-CPAM, which as I understand, will begin in just a few weeks in the new year. We think that's an important Um, process where EDAC's voice will be valuable as a balanced stakeholder. The third point I'll just call out from the letter is post-implementation. EDAC recommends that we continue to explore ways that the newly adopted zoning ordinance can be enhanced and amended to bolster economic development on an ongoing way. So we're supporting economic diversity and supporting innovative ideas into the future with flexibility and how important that is to support and promote the long-term economic growth and sustainable development in the county. And so this was an idea that was suggested, I believe by Supervisor Turner that post implementation, we continue to put some effort into finding ways to enhance that zoning ordinance to support the balanced development. So um, that is our update at this point. Uh, We've submitted uh, the letter, hopefully it was helpful in the work sessions, and uh, thanks again for all the hard work.
0: Thank you very much, uh, all of you. Any
5: questions for the team? Uh, Chair Randall. Uh, Good evening and thanks for coming in. So so Ms. McFadden, just to make sure I'm clear, at this point, there, are, there, will be no more record date, there will be no more appointments to be made for the upcoming term. Is that correct? You're full. We're full. OK, for the upcoming term. OK, yeah. that, that's what I thought. Um, I might have heard you wrong, because I was looking down for a second. So as we enter the new, new year, the new term, what we're going to be working on mo- more is the rules OM. EDAC absolutely had a very, very, very valuable voice for the for for the what we just finished the Zoning Ordinance rewrite. As we go forward, I I believe REDC's voice is also going to be really very important because of kind of obvious reasons. So if we have REDC and the chamber, um, would EDAC feel comfortable being part of the of the cohort or the? Committee that is connected to either REDC or the chamber.
3: I would say we would, and I say that connectivity is already there because both the chamber and REDC has representational EDAC.
5: Wonderful. So, so you're not asking. Okay, perfect. That's that was, and I and I could not agree more. I completely agree with that. Um, to what you you just said about having, you know, having updated, I think that's an, it's an interesting discussion because of course zoning is, is, is or, the ordinance is law, right? And so when we put things in the ordinance is law. so I'm not entirely sure what that would look like to you know update the ordinance to make sure the economic because really we had such business involvement in this process. However, I am I, I will absolutely be open to those discussions to see what those those discussions look like. I, I have a feeling that the that the Zoam is going to be as hard if not harder than the zoning ordinance to be honest. And the the challenges for some of the rural businesses or the different rural businesses are gonna be real interesting. And so um, what I would hope is that we can get through the Zoem before we go back and start to do anything with the original zoning ordinance. Unless those two things are connected, it would be really hard to, to try to go adjust the zoning ordinance as it sits right now. And do the zoam, but if we do these if we finish the zoam and then take a look at it and say, "Okay, now what do these two documents look like as as it relates to business, that might be I think easier in in my head okay, all right, thank you
0: All right, anybody else okay um, We welcome supervisor glass uh, to the meeting. Um, our committee vice chair, Supervisor Letourneau is not able to be with us tonight, but thank you all very, very much. We appreciate all the hard work. All right, we're going to now go, oh, sorry. Uh, Wait,
1: before you guys leave, sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, I know there was a, an event last, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday regarding Ravana, Mr. Reiser wanted to give a quick Summary of the event that took place.
2: Sure, um, Rivana has um, completed their uh, using the input from the Board of Supervisors. Have redone all their artwork and it, it really is quite beautiful, uh, really impressive. So we had kind of the unveiling last night of the new marketing materials uh, and their new marketing video, uh, which you can view now on our website at biz.laden.gov, and Supervisor Glass was kind enough to come out as well last night, um, really well attended, and uh, seems to be a lot of momentum and a lot of excitement around the uh, Ravana development.
1: Okay. Thank you. Sorry about that. Thank,
0: thank you all. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move on to item number two: the quarterly report, FY 2024 first quarter financial update, cash profit report, and debt report. And we have Caleb, and Megan, and the rest of the team.
6: good evening uh, committee members Uh, just to highlight a couple things in uh, tonight's item Uh, starting on page one of the item i'll draw your attention to table one which shows the uh, total general fund forecast uh, for FY 2024. Uh, At this point, we are forecasting an approximately $198 million positive variance in FY 2024. This is almost entirely attributable to revenue, overperformance, expenditure savings are following typical patterns. Uh, Just to expand on the revenues a little bit, there is a breakdown of uh, revenue categories that is provided at the top of page two in table two. Uh, General property taxes, both real and personal property, are forecast to overperform the FY 2024 budget by approximately $140 million. Further down on page two, table three has additional details on property taxes. For real property revenue, the positive variance of approximately $40 million is driven primarily by strong growth in commercial property values and higher than anticipated commercial new construction. Um, This is almost entirely attributable to the data center industry. For personal property tax revenue, the approximately $99 million positive variance is based on robust performance of data center computer equipment revenues above what was budgeted. As we have previously discussed with the committee, budget year to budget year, there can exist wide variations between budgeted and actual amounts of growth in data center revenue, even while the overall revenue is on a long-term growth trend. These gaps are the result of variability in the timing of construction, outfitting of data centers, and other factors, such as equipment refresh rates. Um, And as has been discussed with the committee before, for computer equipment revenue, there is only one filing per year that provides a hard data point. Uh, So I'll just draw this committee's attention to one additional figure on page three, figure one, which is titled the Hypothetical Data Center Revenue Multi-Year Trend. As illustrated in this chart, data center revenue will, remember, will resemble the staircase, which is the blue line that's shown in Figure One, rather than the smooth linear orange line of uh, trend line, resulting in fiscal years, some fiscal years, where data center revenue can come in substantially either above or below budgeted levels. This is why the staff recommended and last month the board approved the revenue stabilization fund specific to data center revenues, which can be filled when revenue is above budget and drawn upon when revenues are below budget. Due to the strong forecasted FY 24 revenue picture, uh, staff expects FY 2024 to be a filling year for the revenue stabilization fund. Uh, Going back to page two, table two, the final category I will note is use of money and property. Rising interest rates and the growth of the size of the county's portfolio have contributed to a stronger than expected performance in revenue from interest on investments. This overperformance to some extent likely represents a one-time phenomenon and staff does not anticipate it will continue at the same level if interest rates uh, moderate to lower levels. Due to this fact, staff is recommending the appropriation of uh, 40 million in interest revenue that is forecasted to be collected above budget in FY 24 for a one-time expenditure in item number 14, uses of fund balance on tonight's agenda. And with that, we'd be happy to take any questions.
0: Thank you very much. Any questions from the committee? Not seeing any. Supervisor Glass, do you have any questions? Okay. All right. All right. Thank you all very very much. We appreciate it all right we're going to move now to the action items um all right um i have a note here that the county attorney leo rogers will be available uh, remotely for all items our first item is item number 10 award authority increase in capital improvement program amendment design build delivery of north star boulevard from Route 50 to 0.18 miles south of Evergreen Mills Road, previously Shreveport Drive. Uh, We have Christopher Bresley, George Govan, um, James Zeller, and Nancy Boyd. All right. We're all
5: here.
7: Good evening, committee members. Uh, the, The purpose of this item is to request an award authority increase of 4.6 million dollars for the uh, North Star Boulevard uh, North Star Boulevard construction project that uh, from Route 50 to uh, just south of Evergreen Mills Road. And in addition to the award authority increase, uh, we're requesting that that increase be transferred out of the CIP contingency fund into the project fund. So this project, uh, the board approved uh, the construction of this project in November of 2020. We signed the construction contract in December uh, of 2020, and the project has been moving forward since that point in time. We've had some increases to the project uh, since it was awarded in, uh, in November of 2020. In uh, December of twenty one we came back to the Finance Committee for an award authority increase. Uh, to for uh, a four-lane four-lane section of the Dulles West Boulevard from North Star Boulevard to Racefield Lane we also increased the contract uh, to do a uh, construct a signal in a, in a warrant study at, uh, at Shreveport uh, Shreveport Road we added some additional money for developer coordination and then of course the fourth and, and final increase we have now is the 4.6 million dollars we're requesting to be added and that's for unforeseen delays associated with land acquisition. And with that, I would open the floor to any questions the committee members may have.
0: All right, we have Supervisor Brisbane. Thank you.
8: Um, so, do we know how much is left in the CIP contingency account when this is taken out? I know, Megan.
3: Yes.
9: We have about fifty million dollars in your fund balance item on this evening's agenda would add an additional sixteen million dollars to the CIP contingency.
8: I'm sorry, did you say fifteen one five? Five zero. That's okay. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell it was fifty or five zero. That's fine. Thank you.
0: All right. Um, seeing no other questions. Uh, we're gonna go to a motion i move that the finance government operations and economic development committee recommend that the board of supervisors authorize the purchasing agent to increase the award authority for the design build delivery of north star boulevard from route 50 to 0.18 miles south of evergreen mills road previously shreveport drive contract awarded to shirley contracting incorporated by $4,600,000 for a new award authority amount of $55,820,257. I further move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the board authorize the amendment of the FY 2024 Capital Improvement Program by directing staff to execute a budget adjustment which moves $4,600,000 from the Capital Improvement Program contingency account to the North Star Boulevard, Shreveport Drive to Route 50 project in the capital projects fund. Is there a second? Second. by Supervisor Briskman. Any discussion? All right, all in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right, that will pass. One, two, three, four. 01 with Supervisor Letourneau off the dais. Thank you all very, very much. All right. Since item 11, um, passed on consent, we're going to move now to item 12, response to board member initiative, board business travel policy. Uh, I think we have Elaine Crawford and George Govan. Welcome.
10: Good evening, Supervisor Umstedt and members of the committee. I have with me tonight our Director of Finance and Procurement, George Govan, and the Senior Managing Consultant at PFM, Ms. Vian Lung. And we are here to present the item on board business travel policy and it is in response to a board member initiative presented at the September 5th business meeting. Staff were directed to research travel policies of regional counterparts as well as state and federal agencies with a focus on the best practices for international and domestic travel and how that travel is covered by tax revenue versus non-tax revenue. Um, staff engaged PFM to perform a benchmarking analysis to compare the county's administrative travel policy to our counterparts. And the full presentation of that travel policy benchmarking is in your packet, um, and we are prepared to um, go through the introductory slides in this meeting if you would like us to.
11: Yes, please. Good evening, it's good to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, As Elaine said, uh, we were tasked by staff to develop a benchmarking analysis in September, Um, and I'm just gonna go through the couple of slides that I believe you have in your packet. Um, In selecting the benchmarking comparison group, um, we selected six regional counties in Maryland and Virginia, and I would note that staff was incredibly helpful in helping us to get those travel policies uh, based on their personal contacts. So the comparison group includes those six counties, as well as uh, regional state and federal policies. And when I say regional state, what I mean is uh, Maryland and Virginia. And I'll just note that um, the first bullet under that section, the Commonwealth of Virginia, that uh, policy is a broad policy based on the Code of Virginia. And um, the policy is applicable to not just the executive branch uh, of Virginia governments, but also a judicial and legislative branch of government, although those individual branches of government can also adopt their own policies and have to file uh, with the Virginia Department of Accounts. And we selected that particular policy because it is the broad policy that encompasses not just one branch of government, but maybe multiple as well. Um, I can move to the next slide here and just wanted to, again, the benchmarking analysis is uh, substantial and, uh, and, and I won't go through all of it, but here are the four key findings. Um, based on our uh, comparison of regional counties, uh, none of the comparable counties have a separate policy for elected officials. Some of them, like Loudoun County, have a policy for county employees and verbal uh, communication with personal contacts there indicate that the same policy would apply to elected officials as well. But in some cases, Fairfax, Prince William, Prince George's County, for those places, the policy itself explicitly state that Uh, though the same policy would apply to elected officials as well. So that was our first finding. In developing this analysis, uh, what we found is that while Loudoun County's travel policy is generally comparable to regional counties, we did find that Loudoun County's policy is more flexible than other counties. What do I mean by that? An example, and this is really just the one notable factor, where Loudoun County's policy allow for uh, business class airfare for international flights beyond 10 hours. We did not find that in the regional com- uh, Counties policy uh, in all the other regional counties policies as uh, generally stated that coach fare is uh, allowable and reimbursable, but not beyond coach fare. So that's our one of our major findings is that Loudoun County's policy is more flexible than uh, the comparable counties policy that said Loudoun County's policy is very comparable to the state and federal policy. So using the same example of airfare, uh, whereas Loudoun does allow for uh, business class airfare for flights longer than 10 hours, the Commonwealth also allows for that. The Commonwealth allows for business class airfare for flights longer than eight hours. And so in that sense, Loudoun County's policy is comparable to state and federal policies. Um, I can dive d- deeper into kind of what the similarities and differences are in just a second here, but let me kind of jump to the last finding here, um, which is you know we were tasked to look at not just kind of what the policy said, but also how it- funding sources impact the policy. And what we found from looking at the county's policy is that generally, um, that's not stated in the policy itself. Only out of uh, two out of the six counties that we have looked at explicitly state that, you know, funding sources may impact a reimbursement. And in those cases, it's just a brief sentence that would say, you know, if the funding sources is uh, a grant or contract, then you would have to comply with the grant and contracts policies. So those are the four key findings here. But let me dive just a little bit deeper into some of the details I just noted. Um, I said earlier that um, none of the Combro counties have a separate policy for elected officials. Um, that is true, except in some cases the approval process may differ. So in Fairfax County, for instance, the policy explicitly state that elected officials have to comply with that same policy, but elected officials and their destinies in Fairfax County do not need advance authorization by the county executive. So again, same policy for everyone, but the approval process may differ. And because of that kind of variation, we also looked at not just counties, uh, but we pulled out two Virginia cities uh, because those uh, policies are publicly available. Um, And we looked at the city of Stanton where in their city council structure, council members are required to receive the majority of council approval before making a travel arrangement. And this arrangement is interesting. Um, the travel approval process depends on who you are. Uh, if you're the mayor, you require the CAO, the chief administrative officer, to approve that. If you're city council members, you require the mayor to approve of travel. Again, it depends on who you are. So I just wanted to show that there is a variation in terms of the approval process, even if the policy does broadly apply uh, to everyone. I'll go to the next slide here. Um, I've already noted that uh, Loudoun County's policy uh, is more flexible than other regional counties, but just want to give a little bit more of a flavor here. In terms of the differences, uh, I already talked about the airfare for the business class airfare where no other counties provide for business class airfare uh, for international flights. The other difference I would note is lodging. Uh, Loudoun County your policy currently reimburses lodging based on actual expenditures whereas in Virginia counties, lodging is generally based on per diem rates, uh, the General Services Administration GSA per diem rates for domestic and State Department rates uh, for international travel. So in Virginia, lodging is generally based on the per diem rates, um, although exceptions can be made. For instance, in Fairfax, I would say, exceptions can be made to 150% of the per diem rates. Um, So I would just note that those are the two main differences we saw comparing Loudoun County's policy with regional county's policies. Other aspects are fairly similar. Everyone reimbursed meals based on per diem rates. Uh, Those other, everyone allowed for one check back. Those kind of general items are fairly similar, and it's just these two items uh, that made me conclude that uh, Loudoun County has a little bit more of a flexibility here. Uh, last slide here, uh, comparing with the uh, regional, state, and federal policies, again, very similar, very comparable. Um, there are some differences, again, Loudoun uh, reimbursed lodging based on actual expenditures. The commonwealth, the federal government generally uh, reimbursed lodging based on per diem rates. Uh, but apart from those kind of you know smaller differences, uh, the conclusion here is that this benchmarking analysis, illustrates that there are no glaring differences. Yes, there is more flexibility from Loudoun's part uh, when compared to counties, but not necessarily compared to state and federal governments. Uh, But generally speaking, there are no glaring differences uh, between the Loudoun County's policies and the other entities that we have looked at. So with that, let me conclude my summary. Um, I'd happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any questions,
0: Uh, Supervisor Saints?
1: Thank yeah. you, Madam Chair, um, and thank you for the presentation, the research. So, just to make sure I heard you correctly. You said there is no, how can I say, glaring differences between uh, our county policy uh, compared to our regional competitor uh, um, uh, comp set and um, and state and, and federal. Is that correct?
11: That is correct.
1: Okay, and then I noticed um, your the presentation or the the research mentioned by name uh, Virginia employee executive branch, I believe, Maryland executive judicial, and then it said Maryland General Assembly, but I did not notice anything for Virginia General Assembly. So do they not have a travel policy, or or what do they do?
11: Sure. Um, The Virginia General Assembly Um, is subject to the broad state policy. And the broad state policy indicates that um, the same policy applies to different branches of government. So technically, the General Assembly could adopt their own policy and file it with the Department of Accounts but we couldn't find that in the Department of Accounts website, so logically we conclude that um, it's essentially the same broad policy that they comply with unless there is another policy that was not being filed with the Department of Accounts.
1: Right, so there's no specific general, Virginia General Assembly travel policy, so we believe that they follow the, the general state employee or executive branch Virginia pol- travel policy, and in, in your presentation you mentioned that for Virginia, Employees like general uh, executive branch, etc. So, this uh, from your interpretation falls under the general assembly. If they travel for international eight hours or more, they can travel business class. Is that correct? Correct, that is correct. Okay, all right. Um, thank you, and thank you for doing the, the research.
0: Thank you, Supervisor Briskman.
8: Thank you. Um, so the and, and uh, Supervisor Sainz, Vice Chair Sainz, asked some of the questions that, that I was going to ask, but you know, in the summary, it does say staff and PFM did not identify any policy areas in which the county was not aligned with comparable counties, and or other governmental entities. So I too appreciate um, that uh, summary and statement and all the research. Um, as of now, uh, how is travel? Uh, Request from an elected official reviewed because um, right. It's my understanding that we pretty much follow the county employee policy right now, but it doesn't just doesn't explicitly say anywhere that we have to do that. So, what do we do right now to ensure that elected officials are following the policy right now? That's in place. Madam Chair, Aaron wants to answer.
12: Madam Chair, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, um. Can you all hear me? Yeah. Okay, Um, so currently we do apply our policy to the board members when you all travel. and, um, And the way we do that is when you're arranging your travel, County administration staff assists you with booking of the travel with your reimbursement requests with anything you need to put into our financial system receipts and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And through that process is generally how we ensure that the travel that we're helping you book or that you have booked is appropriate according to county policy. Um, So we generally follow our policy that way um, with the board members and your staff. And
8: if I might ask another question through Mm -hmm. the chair, if it were to be found that um, an elected supervisor was um, doing something outside of the policy or trying to do something outside of the policy, would staff not raise a red
12: flag on that? Yes, ma'am, we would. We would come to you um, individually and talk about your travel arrangements. And um, we have not had an issue, to my knowledge, that we've not been able to work out with the board member okay
8: so for example if if there was a board member who wanted to fly business class but the flight was only six hours staff would come and say hey this is not aligned with our policy yes ma'am and it would have to be rectified most likely after a conversation okay so it sounds to me like we already are are following um, a policy Um, I think that was all the questions I had thank you very much
5: chair Randall questions so I want to just put a fine point on the fact that this um, study was not done by staff, but was done by a contractor, PFM. Um, I would, um, I think it's important to say that an outside uh, group was contracted, uh, outside organization, outside company was contracted to do that, do this. And I just want to put, put that on the record and put a fine point on that. Um, I would also, in response to what Ms. McClellan just say, just say I have never booked my own travel. Never. I've never asked to, I've never had to. I don't book my own travel when it's discussions. When when I am asked to travel um, by the Economic Development Department, staff has always booked my travel. Um, and I very rarely even know what it is until I walk on the plane, to be quite honest. Um, I did wanna also just restate what Mr. Sainz just said, because it was very important, that for the most part, there is no clear um, policy for the General Assembly, they follow the administration's policy, and the administration's policy, as it pertains to travel, um, airfare is actually less strict than Loudon, in that it's anything over eight hours, and Loudon's anything over uh, ten hours. So, in that in that vein, the General Assembly versus Loudon County, we are actually more strict, not less strict. Is that correct? That is correct, based on the research, yes. Okay, and then I want to finally say that the per diem rate is really important and interesting because how the per diem rate works is if you have a per diem, if you have a per diem amount that you receive and you find a hotel that is less than that per diem amount, there's nothing that stops an elected official from just pocketing that difference. That's not true in Loudoun County. We can't do that because our, our our costs are paid up front, and so we know what the costs are. They're paid as kind of pay-go, pay-as-you-go. There is no way a Loudoun County official could put any money in their pocket from any travel. And finally, I just want to ask the staff and um, Mr. Hemstreet if, if, if he could answer. Does the staff believe that there was any waste, fraud, or abuse in any of the travel that was done um, for any of the international city programs Mr. Hemstreet
13: uh, no to my knowledge that there was no there was no violation of any law no violation of regulation no violation of any policy so the board's travel was as far as everything that I've seen and everything that the staff has looked at fully compliant with everything out there that's applicable to to the international travel the board took.
5: And I want to make one more statement. There is a difference between something being, you, a person having the right to do something and something, uh, something being the right thing to do. You can have the right to do something, and it's still the wrong thing to do. That's not true in this case. We had no waste, fraud, and abuse, and we had the right to do it, but it was also what we did and how we did it was the right way to do it, especially in how transparent we were from the very beginning. Thank you
0: thank you very much i am going to make a motion Um, if this motion fails uh, chair randall has another motion that i'm going to uh, turn to her to make these motions are somewhat similar Uh, the main difference is that i have removed the exemption for uh, chiefs of staff that exists in chair randall's motion I move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommends to the Board of Supervisors that the Board adopt the County's Administrative Policy for Business Travel, TRV-03, Travel Policy, as administratively amended from time to time as a separate Board of Supervisors and Board Staff Aid Travel Policy, with the following exceptions concerning authorization for or approval of board member travel. One, for the chair at large, for international travel, lodging arrangements shall be consistent with the travel policy unless recommendations are made by the United States State Department or similar federal agency, in which case lodging may follow the federal recommendations. Two, Subject to the provisions of paragraph one above, for the chair at large, international travel for economic development and sister city trips is authorized by this policy when paid by the Economic Development Authority. The chair shall notify the board in writing a minimum of 45 days in advance of any international travel three all board members are authorized by this policy to travel for essential county business purposes to all states and territories of the united states utilizing their respective district budgets however all travel shall be in compliance with the board's policy for business travel Four. international travel for board members and their chiefs of staff other than the chair at large is permitted when authorized in advance by a vote Of the Board of Supervisors. Is there a second? All right, that will fail for lack of a second. Chair Randall, would you like to make your
5: motion? I move the Finance, Government, Operations, Economic Development Committee recommends to the Board of Supervisors that the Board adopt the the county's administrative policy for business travel, TRB 03. As administratively amended from time to time is a separate Board of Advisors and Board Staff a travel policy with the following exceptions concerning authorization for or approval of the board member travel. One, for the chair at large and their chief of staff for international travel lodging arrangements shall be consistent with the travel policy unless recommendations are made by the United States State Department or similar federal agency, in which case lodging will follow the federal recommendations too. Subject to the provision of paragraph one above for the chair at large and their chiefs of staff. International travel for economic development and sister city trips is authorized by this policy when paid for by the economic development authority. The chair should notify the board and minimum 45 days in advance of any international travel policy paid by the economic Deve- development authority. Three, all board members are, are authorized by this policy to travel for business purposes to all states and territories of the United States utilizing their respective district budgets. And four, international travel for the board members and the chiefs of staffs other than the chair at large, and the chair's chief of staff is permitted when authorized by a board, by the board of supervisors. Second. All right. Uh, not yet. <sighs> okay. Do you have a friendly... Okay. Um, Mr. Ma- Madam Chair, might I have my opening before a Friendly comes? Yes, ma'am, you may. Um, okay, so this these two motions are very similar because I wrote the motion. And then there were some very minor changes, but one important change to the motion that Ms. Umstead put forward. So first I want to thank Vice Chair Sains for putting this um, BMI forward to have this study done. And a couple of things. One, it was important for me to put number one in here about the lodging because When we had our trip to Ghana, there had actually been another hotel chosen by the Economic Development Department um, that I was aware of. We changed the hotel because the U.S. Embassy told us to change the hotel for safety reasons. So that hotel was changed for a very particular purpose by the U.S. Embassy and the President of Ghana. We did not choose that hotel out of the blue. And I've said that before, but I'm not sure that was ever real clear, and I need that to be real clear of how we ended up in that hotel. Um, number two um, or maybe number number yeah I guess the number two um, I have taken my chief of staff on trips because uh, these are very heavy lift trips they are you are incredibly incredibly busy doing these trips and a lot of the a lot of those work just like everywhere else is done on a staff to staff level um, it would be very hard for me to do all the work that has to be done. Um, on these trips, especially when, you, when you're an elected official and you go, much of the required ceremonial work, and there is ceremonial work required, falls to the elected official. Um, and it, it may not be that, that, that after we see an agenda, a chief of staff would go, But if so, I need to have that option and, oh, by the way, that chief of staff's uh, trip would be paid for by the Economic Development Authority and that restricted TOT money was put in place for this very purpose, for the very purpose of international travel for the purpose of economic development so if a board member or if any chair at large believes that their chief of staff is going to be helpful on this trip it is important that they are that they have the ability to take them when that is paid for by the restricted tot dollars through the economic development um authority um i think anything else I do think that it is appropriate for, for other Board members to go through the Board of Supervisors and I want to put on the record because some things have been said over the past months that are completely not true. I have never asked any of my board members to attend a trip. They, they've decided on their own that they want to do that out of their county budget. That is not the decision of the chair. If I had mu- that much control over my board, I would be on the winning side of every single vote we took on this dais because I could tell the board how to vote. I can't tell my, super- my colleagues what to do, and I don't, um, but I do think that when it's not the chair at large, it is appropriate for the board members to come to the board. Thank you. I will have a closing
0: oh very good um supervisor Says did you want to make a friendly amendment at uh, this time
1: yes yes thank you on point number one it was read for the chair at large and their chief of staff for international travel lodging arrangements should be consistent with travel policies unless recommendations are made by united states state united states state department or similar federal agencies in which lodging will follow the federal recommendations. I would like to strike out uh, for the chair at large and their chief of staff, so that way that applies to anybody that might be on travel, because if the State Department gives a directive or any federal agency gives directive to say, no, you need to do this for safety reasons. If other, um, other county employees or supervisors and their staff are on, on the travel, then we all should be following the the, the guidance from the from the State Department on on, on for safety reasons, because if we keep it the way it is written now, it's like okay, chief of staff and the chair, you go follow the orders, and then everybody else, you're you're not going to follow the orders type of thing. So,
5: Chair Randall, do you accept that as a friendly? I, I wrote this this way because because. Mr. Reiser has, or the economic development department, consistently asked the chair at large, whomever they might be, to accompany on on these trips. And again, I don't have any control over who else accompanies people or not. So I wrote this motion specifically to to my my seat because I know what happens um, and how I am requested to go on the trips. I have no issue with this change at all, but I need to to say that I wrote it very narrowly to 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 apply to this seat. Um, to this office because this office is the one that's re- requested to go on the trips by the by the uh, economic development uh, department. All right, so I will take that as ac- accepted.
0: Um, and Mr. Sains, you were the second, I believe, so you're good with it. Yes. Very good, um, Supervisor Briskman.
8: Thank you. Um- I would like to thank uh, staff and the contractor for doing the research and informing us of our policies of our regional counterparts and letting us know that we are not outside um, the normal uh, policies for state, federal, and our regional counterparts. Um, I do think it's important um, that we have some measures in place for travel, but I think we already have those measures in place. So I think this is, in some ways, a futile exercise. Um, But I do appreciate that we will explicitly say that the county policy applies to us. I don't have a problem with that. It's kind of what we were doing anyway. Um, All travel that I'm aware of has been important for the Board of Supervisors and county business, um, including economic development, advancing Loudoun County's interests on the international uh, level, sometimes national level. I think that it is horrible the way that this issue has been raised by certain media outlets, actually with the help of one member of this Board of Supervisors. I think the way that this travel was leveraged in the campaigns was heinous and actually put some of us in danger because of the misinformation and the actual lies that were told about the members sitting on this dais right now. It's disgusting. And it is indicative of what is going on in our country right now. When you can't find anything wrong with the way someone's doing their job, you just don't like the way they vote, you don't like where they are ideologically, so you decide that you're going to pick at work that we're doing and make up lies about the actual intent of what we're doing, putting words in our mouths, posting pictures of us that were not intended to be public, photographs that were taken during downtime at 7 o'clock at night on a business trip. Folks that did all of these things should be utterly ashamed of themselves. And they should also think about the tax dollars that we had to spend and the time that we had to spend as your elected officials talking about this. It's a waste of time, and it was a waste of energy and it actually caused threats and hurt people. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Supervisor Turner.
14: Thank you, Madam Chair. I have a question. I'm just a little confused. Do I have this right? So Loudoun County is the only um, uh, jurisdiction that has a specific policy that you can upgrade to business class if your international flight is over 10 hours, and yet in a later statement you seem to indicate that all comparable comparable jurisdictions allow upgrades to business class every 10 hours is it just that they don't have a specific written policy about that and they comply with state policy what's the difference there it seems like a conflict
10: so i think she was um, the other comparable counties do not have a policy that adds that flexibility in the airfare upgrades um, but state And federal agencies do have a policy that allows that upgrade.
14: So the implication being, or maybe it's the inference, is therefore if those other jurisdictions had an international flight over 10 hours, they could, in conformity with both state and federal policy, upgrade to business class. It's just not an enunciated policy for their county or city.
10: So we didn't see that language in their policies. We mm-hmm. just saw a, a very strict policy that they don't allow it. Um, what, when, we're, when we're talking about state and federal agency policies, we're talking about those specific to state and federal employees, not the implication of, like, GSA Perdue, Okay, so,
14: it, so to put a finer point on it, it's not addressed in our comparator jurisdictions at all. It's just not addressed. But you're saying for state and federal, it is addressed for state and federal employees, and it is consistent for their restrictions on state and permissions on state and federal employees. We're just the only county that specifically mirrors that at the county level. Everybody else is silent on it.
10: There are some counties who restrict it completely. Okay. um, But Loudon is one of the counties that allows based on the duration of the flight, which is consistent with state and federal. That's
14: good. Thank you very much. Thank you, Madam Chair.
0: Very good. Um, Supervisor Briskman wants to offer friendly
8: amendment, so I'll allow that. Thank you. Um, So I actually, my friendly amendment would be to strike number four from the motion. Um, I, I don't know how the maker of the motion or the seconder will feel about this, but I think that this is a slippery slope where we will have board members that have potentially control over how district supervisors spend our discretionary budget. And I think that we could get to a point where everything that supervisors want to spend out of their discretionary budget could be voted up or down by a majority of the board. Um, and I just don't think that other supervisors should be in control or telling certain supervisors what to do with their discretionary office budget. And uh, i harken hearken back to um, when we uh, were voting on the Planning Commission appointments. And my colleagues said that supervisors should not tell other supervisors the Planning Commissioners, where their Planning Commissioners should come from. So I also think that other supervisors should not um, be able to tell their colleagues where they can uh, spend their money. Thank you. Very good. Um, Madam Chair, do you accept Supervisor Brisbane's
0: friendly amendment?
5: I do not. With respect, I do not. And this is why. Um, I have never gone on a trip that, that I have not been requested by the department to go on. Um, every single one of them I've gone on, even if I didn't want to always go, <laughs> the department requested me to go. I don't know that that will always be true for for district supervisors. And the the, the motion is not whether or not we tell you how to spend your money it's whether or not you just bring it to the board to say we're going I want to go on this international trip for this reason and so we're not saying telling you it's basically saying you know any any district supervisor comes to the board and says I believe I should go for this reason Um, and the the, the board can say go or not and then how you would you do with your money from that is is subject to the Subject to the policy that we have in place and so um, and I when look in looking through all of the uh, many of the other districts That is in conformity with m- many of the other jurisdictions. So with respect. I will not accept that as a friendly
0: uh, Supervisor Brisbane. Do you want to make that as an amendment?
8: Uh, no, no, I will not do that I uh, With chair Randall's comments. I realized that the actually the expenditures for another supervisor to come could actually even come from economic development or somewhere else, so I'm fine with, but I just did wanna make a point about other supervisors voting, what other supervisors could do, thank you. Very good. Any
0: other um, issues, I I will make my comments and then go to Chair Randall for her closing. Um, I'm not happy with a lot of this, but for me, the saving grace is paragraph number four, and so the fact that that stayed in. Um, currently, we w- the board does not have any say on whether um, significant numbers of dollars can be spent on overseas travel by um, members of the board other than the chair. And this at least, would give the board more information and the right to say this is not how we want to spend our tax dollars. I appreciate Supervi- uh, Supervisor Brickman's, uh comments and, and I understand where she's coming from. But in the end, as a board, we're a corporate body and we have the responsibility to decide how the taxpayer funds are gonna be spent. Um, I am comfortable in paragraph two with the minimum of 45 days in advance of any international travel paid by the EDA that that information would come to the board via the chair uh, so that we would know that a trip was in the offing. Um, I, I do not believe that it is essential to take one's chief of staff or any staff members. Buddy Riser goes on these trips or Bob McCuller goes on these trips. Uh, Beth Erickson goes on these trips. There are always people there who can help the chair or any board member who goes on these trips. Um, but this does gain for the people two things they didn't have before, which is advance notice of international travel and the ability of the board to say no to uh, a large group of folks going on a trip when the board feels it may not be an essential use of taxpayer dollars. For that reason, I will support it. Chair Randall, you get a closing.
5: So first of all, Beth Erickson is not county staff. She is Visit Loudoun, which is not a county agency, so that is immaterial. Um, THE COUNTY STAFF FROM THE ECONOMIC DEVELOPMENT DEPARTMENT, WHEN THEY GO, THERE ARE SOME DIFFERENT DUTIES OF, of, of COUNTY STAFF. MR. RISER AND Ms. McCALLER are, are, ARE NOT THERE to, to, FOR THE ELECTED OFFICIAL, AND I DON'T KNOW THAT IT IS ESSENTIAL FOR A CHIEF OF STAFF TO GO. But depending on what the agenda is or is not, it could be helpful for the Chief of Staff to go. And again, the Chief of Staff would travel on restricted tax dollars through the EDA. Let me be very, 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 very clear. There has been advance notice for these trips well over forty five days in the past. In fact, there were not just not just advance notice. there were two votes on this trip that passed unanimously and especially for the trip to Ghana, it was said at my state of the county with the ambassador of Ghana in the room who stood up when I said, and I quote, "I will be leading the delegation to Ghana." and so that those that advance notice has happened and happened and happened and happened over and over again, well, 45 days in advance um, or more. If this was the goal to talk about how this should look, then we could have done that. We should have done that. Phone calls that were made could have been answered. Um, emails could have been sent. Discussions should have been had. Could have been had. That is way, the way the body. This body works. Taking this to the media and then making it a political issue is not how this body works not how anybody is supposed to work, any governing body is supposed to work, um, but, but taking it to one another and then bringing it to the dais for everyone to see, to get the facts, and to know the facts. It's how it should have worked. So the changes that we have here today and the things that we have here today are not much different than what we've been doing already, um, to be quite honest, uh, with some minor changes, but if, they, if, if you want anyone want this to be in writing, there, there, we could have done this five months ago, six months ago, seven months ago without making this the horribly, ugly, divisive, and quite frankly dangerous issue it became during a political campaign. And so, yeah, let's, let's, let's do these things. Let's talk about these things. Let's have staff bring them to us. Let's have a consultant look through it. Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely we are a very very transparent body let's continue to do that but let's not go out of our way to use these moments um, in in damaging ways, when we won't even agree to talk to one another before we go out and damage each other. So I am happy that Mr. Stains brought this forward. I am happy that this that this language is my language, um, and I am uh, uh, proud that some so many of the of my colleagues have have behaved, I think, admirably in this process. All
0: right. All in favor, please say aye. aye. Any opposed, say nay. And that will pass four zero one with Supervisor Letourneau off the dais. We move now, and thank you all very very much. We move now to item number thirteen: the procurement disparity study. Uh, Cheryl Middleton <coughs> and George Govan.
15: Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, Chair Amstad and committee members. The purpose of this item before you is to provide information on the timing cost to conduct a procurement disparity study and to seek approval to hire a consultant to conduct the study. Staff has no new information to present outside of what was included in the item. However, if the committee would like, I can provide a high-level overview of the information contained within the item.
0: Yes, please.
15: Great, thank you. So as you may recall, during the discussion earlier this year regarding project labor agreements, the board inquired as to whether customizations to a PLA to require contracting with minority-owned businesses could be permitted. Staff provided feedback during that presentation that in accordance with the Virginia Public Procurement Act of the Code of Virginia, in order to implement implement any sort of enhancement program for small women and minority-owned businesses, a persuasive analysis that documents a statistically significant disparity between the availability and utilization of those businesses would need to be conducted. Staff shared that this is traditionally done through contracting for a formal disparity study. At that time, the board directed staff to research the timing and cost and to conduct a disparity study and to return to this committee with information for consideration. To provide some basic information, a disparity study analyzes the contracting practices to determine if minority-owned, women-owned, small, local, and veteran-owned businesses have equal access to public contracting opportunities. In other words, a disparity study determines if an entity either in the past or currently has engaged in exclusionary practices either intentionally or unintentionally in their acquisition of goods and services. It is the goal of a disparity study to review, analyze, quantify, and evaluate to what degree and scope, if any, discrimination exists in the procurement process and ways to remedy. Disparity studies normally have multiple components and phases, starting with the review of existing contracting policies and procedures, then analysis consisting of the review of the following, typically historical data, what contracts have been distributed and to whom, statistical data, how many businesses were available to perform the qualified work, Disparity data, <clears throat> is there a gap between how the contracts were awarded versus how they would have been awarded if discrimination was not a factor? Qualitative data, how do businesses view and feel about the procurement process and the outcomes? Depending on the analysis conducted, outcomes may include <clears throat> setting aspirational goals for specific vendor classifications, creation of preferences and evaluation criteria for requests for proposals, removing, Review and remove barriers to participation, for example, removing overly restrictive minimum qualifications, reducing insurance requirements, et cetera. We could segment out large procurement transactions into smaller projects, making it more available to smaller businesses, or implementing technology enhancements to support the participation of SWAM businesses. In terms of staff research, very few local public bodies in Virginia have conducted disparity studies in the last five years. Page five of the item shows three other Virginia localities that have conducted those studies in recent past in addition to the Commonwealth of Virginia. In order to determine the approximate costs and timing, staff further researched into other localities in the DMV region as well as across the country to find similarly sized uh, organizations with similar spend. Based upon the research conducted, the average disparity study took approximately 18 months to complete at an average cost of around $500,000. If the board were to direct staff to proceed with conducting a disparity study, staff recommends selecting a consultant through a competitive request for proposal process, which would take approximately four to six months to complete, depending on the quality and quantity of proposals received. Staff estimates it would cost approximately $450,000 for a consultant to complete the study. With that, I'm available for any questions that the committee may have.
0: Thank you very
5: much. Any questions, (coughs) Chair Randall? So thank you all for doing that. This. this was really fascinating to read. Um, my, my one question is you, you actually talked about unintentional. I, I don't know if you said the word disparity or disc- did you say discrimination? Which word did you use?
15: I think I used both throughout the, the item. Um, but I, I, I'm fairly certain I, I did use both.
5: Tell me what that means to you. Because I, I know, what, obviously, we know what intentional means. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in some ways, we know how to address intentional. UNINTENTIONAL IS DIFFERENT, I DO BELIEVE IT EXISTS, BUT IS THAT, DOES IT, it FIRST OF ALL, TELL ME WHAT YOU THINK THAT MEANS, AND SECONDLY, TELL ME IF IT'S ADDRESSED DIFFERENTLY THAN INTENTIONAL.
15: SO UNINTENTIONAL uh, DISPARITIES IN THE CONTRACTING PROCESS WOULD BE IF we drafted an RFP that had minimum qualifications that were too specific, although staff would draft them with good intentions, meaning that we are trying to target a very specific vendor pool that had the appropriate qualifications, experience, and credentials to perform the work, say for a specific construction contract. Um, we could be unintentionally excluding valuable partners in the mm, community mm, by having overly restrictive okay. requirements.
5: Okay, and how would, you, how, how would you address that differently?
15: So, again, we would want to look through the result of any sort of disparity analysis conducted by a consultant, but generally we would look to see if, if there was really a rational basis to have such strict minimum qualifications, for example, uh, to ensure that we are still, there should be ways to modify those minimum qualifications to ensure we're still getting qualified contractors, but hopefully broadening that pool uh, if further. If you're
5: trying to, if you're trying to attract um, swim contractors, how do you cuz that would be fairly uh, that would be fairly narrowly written how do, how would you do that and still not unintentionally have those disparities cuz i i mean i imagine that's almost harder to to write because you're writing it narrowly but you want a broad spectrum of people who who would meet those that qualifications to um to respond
15: sure so one of the things we could look at is Again, using this specific example, not only looking at the qualifications of the firm, but looking at the personnel that would be assigned to the work. I think oh, for our, oh, some oh, of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that some of the feedback that we've received in the past okay. is that we need to think a little more broadly, and yeah. sometimes I struggle with that. So again, that's part of that unintentional uh, issue that you, you brought up. So it would be looking at different ways to evaluate the qualifications okay. to bring more people. And so I, that, I mean, yeah. one, one of the main things you want to do is bring all parties to the table. Mm-hmm. And so we're always looking for ways to do that now, absent any sort of disparity. That's
5: actually really helpful, because of the, the couple of times I've, I've been able to do a you, which I think are, it's time-consuming, but fascinating. That you, we do actually find out, not just the, the, the company, but who's actually going to be working on the project. And, I, and that has made a difference. So thank you. You're thank welcome. You very much.
0: Very good. Vice Chair Sames.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the report. Um, one question that I have is why is it gonna take so long if we were to move forward? It's almost, you know, it's a year and some change.
15: In terms of to conduct a disparity study? Yes. So one of the challenges that we noted in the item is that traditionally at the local public body level in Virginia, we're not currently tracking vendor vendor classifications officially. So our vendor registration process is all self-reported, so if a vendor is saying now that they're, a, they're classified as a small business or a veteran-owned business, we're taking that as being accurate, we're putting it along the way, but it's not something we're actively tracking. So in order to perform the appropriate analysis, one of the first things a consultant is going to have to do is essentially take our book of business for say a period of time, maybe the last five years or so, look at the vendors that we contracted with and then balance that against an official record that shows <coughs> Um, how those vendors are truly classified with the state small business, um, excuse me, supplier diversity and small business department. So that is gonna take a little bit of time, especially then if we also include outreach to the community, maybe engaging the Loudoun Chamber or other regional organizations, um, and then making sure any information that comes back is, is fully vetted, and then any, recomm- any recommendations we would then wanna run through the county attorney's office to make sure they're allowable under the Code of Virginia.
1: Right. Yeah, it does sound labor intensive and all, but I'll just say, if I'm, I'm assuming the vote will pass. The motion will pass. So, if there's any way possible to make this as expedient as possible, let's let's do so.
8: Understood. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Briskman. Thank you. Yes, I will agree with Chair Randall's fascinating read. Um, I have a couple questions. Um, where we're talking about, I guess, the Virginia Public Procurement Act. Are these the only types of businesses that we are allowed to look at for being discriminated against? Is, is there like a law that defines? So the classifications listed beginning on page three of the item
15: are pulled directly out of the Code of Virginia 22 uh, forty-three? I think I have the, 4361, I believe, or 4310, excuse me. So those are the classifications that are recognized under the Code of Virginia.
8: Okay, would we be able to look at any other factors that might cause discrimination, or are we just gonna stick to these? Can you provide me with an example of something that you're thinking of? There could be age discrimination, um, there could be LGBTQI discrimination. um. So that is something we could definitely research.
15: in, but in terms of the classifications that are shown in the Code of Virginia, those are listed here. Um, that's what the code says, that we can look to determine enhancement programs, but that is definitely something I was say there I may not
8: be into. a remedy. That's, that's just kind of what I was asking. If, if There may not be a remedy if they're not already identified as, as kind of like protected classes. In, but anyway, I, I would like to know the answer. Um, and then also, I was wondering about the qualitative data um when we're talking about how the research would be conducted are you imagining i know the whoever responds to the rfp will probably lay this out but do you envision qualitative data being collected by phone surveys paper surveys focus groups or do we just not know yet i wouldn't know i don't know that information yet i would want to conclude that determination
15: as part of the evaluation of the proposals received okay all right what the best practice is okay
8: well thank you very much you heard obviously an expert on this stuff, and much respect. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. All right, with no further questions, I'm gonna read the motion. I move that the Finance, Government, Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors direct staff to proceed with hiring a consultant to conduct a procurement disparity studies. or second. second. Second by Supervisor Briskman. Any discussion on the motion? all in favor please say aye aye any opposed say day and that will pass 4 one with supervisor letourneau off the dais thank you both very thank very you. much all right uh, item number 14 uses of projected fy 2023 general fund balance and fy 2024 mid-year appropriation and megan's back
9: Good evening, we are here to provide an overview of staff's recommended uses of FY2023 general fund balance as well as a recommendation to appropriate um, FY24 revenue that is expected to be collected over budget. So I will start with um, projected FY23 general fund balance. Um, The year-end audit um, and ACFER still being compiled. However, we have a preliminary, or I guess near final, um, idea of the amount of unassigned fund balance available for the board to um, appropriate, and that is 159,168,860, And what follows in item 14 in table one are the recommended uses. They are categorized in our typical uh, categories that the finance committee is used to seeing. The first category includes recommendations for fund balance to be appropriated in the FY25 budget, including $55 million of fund balance sent to one-time costs in the CIP or CAP and debt service funds, as well as a contribution to our fiscal reserve in the amount of $20 million and an amount of $15 million directed to the board's newly created revenue stabilization fund. Those $90 million of recommendations are um, what staff would prioritize as our top recommendations and any changes to those would impact um, the discussion that you will have related to item 19 for budget guidance. We would recommend Um, those recommendations do move forward to the board. The next sections of the fund balance recommendations include uses in department budgets, board directed uses, as well as board member proposed uses, and then additional funding directed to the Capital Improvement Program and the Loudoun County um, Public Schools budget for their operating fund. Um, I can answer any more questions that you might have on individual items in Table 1, and staff from the Office of Management and Budget is here, as well as other departments.
0: Great, thank you, Megan. Any questions? Uh, Supervisor Briskman
8: and then Supervisor Glass,
0: if no one else jumps
8: in. Thank you. Um, I I had uh, made a motion a while back on the emergency use of the ARPA funds. for the in-med families, the, about $200,000 was taken from the uh, child care needs assessment project. Um, and so I had wanted that to be replenished. Um, I understand that maybe it's not on here because the money hasn't been spent yet.
9: We do have that item added since we discussed last week. So it's in the board-directed uses category. You'll see it under finance and procurement: replenish ARPA child care fee reduction program in the amount of $200,000. On page three of the item oh
8: okay so it was added since we talked last week correct <laughs> okay great <laughs> thank you i appreciate that um and then uh i i'm a little bit uh i have some questions about um supervisor turner's request for the three million on the hennessy property um is that something that's already in the cip
9: Earlier this year, the board purchased the land for that park property, uh, but no, the, this project is not currently in the CIP.
8: Okay. Is it in the future
9: projects of the CIP? It is not, but it is land that the board purchased for the purpose of creating a, a park in that area.
8: Right. So would approving this $3 million cause that project to to jump ahead of any projects that are on the future list or projects that are in
9: process? It is additional funding, so it wouldn't negatively impact the progress of any other park projects or any other CIP projects, for that matter. Oh,
8: interesting. OK. But would we have to add it to the CIP for, for this these funds to be used? This
9: action would create that capital project. It would create that capital project.
8: Okay. OK. All right. Thanks, and I, I apologize to Supervisor Turner. I meant to talk to you about this this weekend to get more of an understanding of what we're doing. So we'll have that conversation. But thank you.
0: I'm going to go first to Supervisor Saints and then come to Supervisor Glass.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you. And I apologize. This uh, question for Supervisor Glass. I forgot to ask her the question. I've got after I got the briefing from staff. And notice in here for the Virginia Piedmont Heritage Area sign replacement, um, you're requesting twenty-eight thousand. Of course, not a huge number compared to when we're looking at numbers of $3 million and $7 million and some other um, expenditures. But from my understanding, that, that total amount would be to replace all the, their signs in Loudoun and in, in others jurisdictions. So the question is, why didn't they, why aren't we just offering to pay the signs for Loudoun County and then they go to the other jurisdictions and ask them to pay for their signs in, in their areas?
16: I'm sorry Well, the, the okay, so it was called the Mosby Heritage Area, I'm sorry, the is it Organization named, Yes, the Mosby Heritage Trail. Mm-hmm. So there are um, several signs on the roadways um, that still have the old name to it. So um, because of, they had asked us, they did not have the money to, you know to make those changes themselves. And because the cost was twenty eight thousand, I was hoping that we could go ahead and and and, you know the entire trail to make those changes for them, since they're also a a, um, one of our area nonprofits.
1: Right, and I I get all that, but again, we're going to be paying for a sign in I think was it Fauquier County, and, and I think there's another jurisdiction or two. Is that correct?
9: I'm not sure where yeah, the signs it, are located.
1: Yeah, but I know the signs are in other locations without outside the county. So that was my question: Is why are we paying for signs if they're outside the county?
16: I, I, well, they had they had asked, and we want to have that consistent change in the name so that people won't have you know won't be confused with the Mosby Heritage and the the Piedmont name right. with their new name. All right. Well I'm sorry. Well the, Yeah, and I get yes, yeah, the other headquarters
1: here and everything, but the signs from my understanding are not just for Loudoun County. It's for the other locations. So we're we're fitting the bill for other locations. That's my whole point. But like I said, it's not not big big scheme of things is not seven, three million dollars like with some other stuff on here. But I just wanted to point that out and see what was the uh, what was the response. So all right, thank you.
0: Yeah. All right, Supervisor Glass.
16: Well, that, thank you for allowing me to speak, and that was one of the things that I wanted to um, ask um, Finance if they would take that into consideration. Um, but there are also a, a couple of other things, and that was, um, uh, well actually I would like to ask staff a question. Um, what is a continuance of a proffer?
9: i might need a little assistance from my friends in dtci um, but my understanding of a continuance of a proffer is that there are proffered improvements from a developer as well as a cip project county project and that negotiations could occur with a developer to continue the proffered improvements that would be inclusive of the county's portion of that improvement
13: You mr hemstreet that, that. so that's that's generally correct it, it however it would typically be work that is outside of the proffered area so for example cross trails boulevard was constructed in continuance of a proffer so the original proffer was to provide up to 30 million dollars for the the construction of the road but not the construction of the road so the county was always responsible for constructing the road but the developer came forward and said we will go ahead and construct it for you as as a continuance of the proffer because we had proffered to contribute to the project so continuance of a proffer is is going beyond what the developer proffered but starting with the, what they proffered and then we pay them to go a little bit beyond that
16: okay and that's something that i that i um, just learned today regarding uh, continuance of a proffer and so um the one of the applications that um that i have that the developer was supposed to build an asphalt trail along um, louden county um, parkway and vdot would not let the trail be built without the crosswalk so um so this crosswalk would be that continuance of a proffer so although the crosswalk is also proffered in the application at the um the public hearing that we'll have tomorrow um, so if it's approved, then we would not have to pay for that crosswalk. And the, um, the last thing was that, um, regarding Ashburn Village Pavilion crosswalk, we had a study that was done in 2018 that suggested flashing lights, um, beacons on, um, on vehicle approaches, so it warns, you know, it has cross, it would warn, warn warning of the crosswalk ahead. VDOT removed those um, flashing beacons a few months ago because they were leaning, and they were installed co- incorrectly. So the the business that um, the engineering firm that put those in went out of business. So we can't go after the engineer or, or record um, or record to replace the beacons. So the eighty thousand dollars is an update is to update the study to determine what other improvements um, can be made that's uh, necessary. I'm out of time thank you okay
0: um so uh supervisor glass do you want me to come back to you after i i have um supervisor turner speak uh is there anything else no no no, all right thank you sure supervisor turner
14: thank you madam chair just to clarify the three million dollar request for the hennessey property this started out there's a glaring uh trail uh broken link across the greenway across sickland road there's a major development with a lot of houses on the south side of Sickland Road. They cannot get up to the shopping center to do daily stuff just by walking. So I said, let's put into the capital improvement program a path, a shared use path, at least across the Greenway. Well, that is currently a project as a missing link. It's ranked number 356, and the staff looked at it because the construction cost increases. It went from $6 million to $13 million. So it's never going to get done. Staff came back with a very innovative solution and said, however, the reason's number 356 right now is because there's no demand to use that path. But if you develop the Hennessy property with walking paths, it may move up the priority within the missing link program, and that may help us fund it. I just checked with um, Ms. Cl- McClellan about entering into the capital improvement program, What I understand is if we fund this through the fund balance, it will be funded, it will go into the CIP as a funded project, but the concern then is it will move to the front of any other funded projects or any other non-funded projects, but it will move to the back of the work plan because it's paid for but it doesn't want to jump in line of other work plans so staff is limited by how much they can work on this project. So it will be paid for but they can't start it until they figure it into the work plan. But it will be ahead of anything that's not paid for yet.
8: Can I ask? Okay. Well, point. So, all right. Can I have a point of clarification? Sure,
0: Supervisor Brisbane
8: So it sounds like what staff is saying is, it will go in front of the list of future projects because it has funding.
14: As I understand it, the. Capital improvement list: the ones at the bottom of the list, so they're next up, are the ones that are funded, and the ones above that are unfunded, waiting for funding. Correct?
12: Yes, and and you know I can let Megan speak, but what I was relaying to Supervisor Turner to that that question um, as a sidebar was that the project will be immediately funded, but either we need direction on if if it needs to move ahead of something or otherwise we would be determining amongst staff what level of effort does this project require? Can it be executed? We already have a, and we will come to you with an update, um, of capital improvement projects that have funding that are currently in process. As you know, there's there's only so much capacity that staff and our consultants can handle, so hopefully I didn't mess that up.
9: (laughs) Ms. Burke. Thanks. I don't have anything to add.
8: I'll save my comments for the motion
0: all right all right anything else supervisor turner okay
8: all right let's
0: let's go to the motion
9: chair chair yes yes i I did have a a secondary part of my overview all right thank you uh, before you get to the motions so in addition to the appropriation of prior year fund balance what we also have in this item which is not typically included in this item is the recommendation to appropriate $40 million of revenue in this fiscal year that Mr. Whites gave a, a brief preview of during the quarterly update on the general fund. We are experiencing over recovery in the interest on our investment line item in the general fund, given the interest environment. Um, we recommend the appropriation of that funding to be used in this fiscal year to um, fund both for the county and LCPS, uh, the beginning stages and the full implementation of the upgrade of our Enterprise Resource Planning or ERP um, software. The county has Oracle uh, for that software. And our recommendation is we use that funding um, that's that will exist in this fiscal year to start those CIP projects. Um, This revenue, we would not depend on that level of revenue collection as recurring in future years, given that we anticipate the interest environment becoming more stable. Um, Additionally, appropriating this revenue for use in this fiscal year will take pressure off the tax rate and the CIP and FY25, because we do... Um, very much recommend this project moving forward. Um, and so that's the basis of staff's recommendation on that piece. And the final motion included in the item relates to that appropriation of current year um, revenues.
0: Very good. All right. I'm going to make um, this multifaceted motion. Uh, I move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors appropriate of projected unassigned FY 2023 general fund balance for the FY 2024 uses identified in Table 1. I further move that the Finance, Government, Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors direct staff to include up to $55 million of projected unassigned FY 2023 general fund balance for one-time purposes in the FY 2025 proposed budget, direct $15 million to the Revenue Stabilization Fund and reserve $20 million for a contribution to the county's fiscal reserve. I further move that the Finance, Government, Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors authorize the creation of five FTE in the Department of Mental Health, Substance Abuse, and developmental services. I further move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors direct staff to adjust the allocation of unassigned general fund balance for the capital improvement program, program contingencies, and land acquisition account by any amount that differs if the final audited FY 2023 general fund balance amount changes after the presentation of the November 14th, 2023, FGOEDC action item. I further move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors direct staff to execute a budget adjustment to estimate and appropriate $40 million of FY 2024 interest revenue and create two new capital projects in the capital projects fund for ERP upgrade for county government and Loudoun County public schools. Is there a second? Second, second by Supervisor Brisman. Any discussion on this motion? Supervisor Brisman, then Chair Randall.
8: Thank you. So, um, thank you so much for putting the ARPA money replenishment back in there. Um, I am very excited about the LCPS capital projects. And this is one more step to making sure that those projects stay on track. And I really appreciate staff helping with that. And also um, this was really a joint effort, a team effort with uh, school board member Reeser um, and the school board to make sure they put it back in their CIP so that when the funding comes, it can happen. And so this will basically make sure that projects at Dominion Potomac Falls, and Heritage High School stay on track to include weight rooms at Heritage and Dominion, um, tennis court lighting at all three high schools, and also, um, what was the third thing? I already forgot. And there's a third one too, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, press boxes, press boxes at all three, which which I know the schools have really been waiting for. Because when Dominion High School heard that the weight room was going to be delayed, you wouldn't. I got so many calls and emails and in-person conversations in the grocery store, <laughs> and the entire dance team turning around and talking to me at the Sterling Fest, <laughs> all the dance team and moms and dads. So super excited about that. Um, I also i want to support the hennessy property um project i really know that that's a problematic area in ashburn i know that we need the park and park space in ashburn for sure i'm just feeling a little hinky about it because i'm afraid that something that has already been put on our future projects list might get get bumped not for funding necessarily but just just staff time and the resources to, to do the projects. But um, so I would like to maybe have a further discussion on that um, because I know that Supervisor Turner has been concerned for a very, very long time about the, um, about the bike ped um, availability on that road. It is very, very
5: dangerous. Thank you, that's all I have, thank you. Very good, uh, Chair Randall. I'm not at all concerned about the Hennessy project. I think it's gonna be fine. Um, My only question is, so are all five FTEs for inmate SADS for the residential group homes? Yes. And this is to add to staff that's in the group homes right now, not to open a new group home? Correct. Okay. And, and (laughs) Margaret, you're so funny to me. (laughs) Um, And can she, if you don't mind, can, um, Ms. Graham, if you don't. One quick question, Ms Graham what is the what population are we are we f- trying to beef up the group homes for what is the what is the population we're looking for
17: it's for both populations that we serve. We have eight group homes four are specifically for folks with developmental disabilities and four are for individuals with serious mental illness we're doing both and we both. need these five to reduce reliance on overtime uh, due to the fact that post We've monitored the last two years the, the the hours that were filled in when we were in lockdown, and based on age and medical frailty and need, some of our individuals don't leave during the day anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're covering a third shift. Yeah, and um, we staff the five. If we yeah. when we staff the five, we train folks up to pull to cover wherever the need is Uh, in the group
5: i'm really happy to support this for the reasons that we're supporting it. i'm going to send you um i just came back from the association of counties and there was a study through the at the through the university of kentucky that talked about the the secondary trauma of um group home staff especially mh sets types of of jobs in, in general, but um, group home staffs in in spe- specific because of the amount of time that you're there with them, and how those numbers um, increased during COVID, um, and some of the things that they're doing to that they're doing to um, address the secondary trauma of the of the of the staff period, but of the group home staff. It was a really really um, interesting discussion. I think I have the link to it, and I will. I'm more than I'm very very happy to support these. Um, positions, I think they're needed, but also I'm going to send you the link to the study.
17: Thank you very much. I look forward to it. Thank you.
5: Very good. All right. Um,
0: all in favor of the motion, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed, say nay. That will pass 401 with Supervisor Letourneau off the dais. Thank you all very, very much. Uh, we move out on to item 15 2023 capital intensity factors.
8: a moose magnet from Maine because,
11: because, because moose crossing. You little on crossing the <laughs>
9: Good evening, sorry for the delay as I set up our PowerPoints. Um, Again, I'm Megan Burke, this is Beth Hilkemeyer. Um, She's an analyst in uh, the Office of Management and Budget and we are here to present the 2023 capital intensity factor for the Finance Committee's consideration and feedback. Um, Our recommendations um, are multi-pronged and so I hope I can present this as simply as possible, but there is a lot of technical information in this item, so I'm happy to answer questions and uh, during discussion. Uh, so our presentation, Beth, if you could go to the next slide, um, includes uh, recommendations that would update the standard and age-restricted capital intensity factor. We are also recommending the addition of an urban multifamily attached capital intensity factor. Third, we have a recommendation around establishing a by-size differential capital intensity factor. And then finally, which the committee hopefully is familiar with, the replacement of the regional roads contribution with a roads capital intensity factor, which has been to this committee previously. Next slide. So just as a reminder, because it's been a few years since the board has seen staff's recommendations about the capital intensity factor, um, it is the dollar amount of the capital facilities impact by type of residential unit and geographic location. It is a tool that is used to assess the capital facilities impact of new residential rezoning and development and it provides a guideline for proper negotiations during residential rezonings. Uh, So the standard CIF uses the bullet points here as inputs into the model, the capital facility standards, which as you might recall, the board recently, I guess it was almost a year ago at this point, um, updated the capital facility standards. A great example of, of that is a certain number of square foot of a certain type of facility per capita. Um, We have a lot of those capital facility standards that the board adopts and and then is a component in the capital intensity factor calculation. The calculation also considers the value of land and the construction costs of public facilities for which there are established capital facility standards. And then finally, the third component is demographic data, including household sizes and student generation rates, as well as population forecasts over a certain year period. Next slide. Some pretty critical CIF principles that's important to understand and remember as we go through our recommendations is that the board's policy on the CIF um, has us calculate 100% of the costs generated by a new housing unit, and those costs are specifically related to the impacts of people on capital facilities. The CIF does not include any calculation to make up for facilities that might be in deficit. It's very critical that our model only models out the impacts of residential development on facilities that will occur in the future um, rather than having new development pay for facilities that were already needed before that development was approved. And then finally, they do not include costs for capital facility standards if the facilities have already been built, are currently under construction, or are planned in the capital improvement program because we already have a funding source identified for those facilities. Next slide. And finally, the last introductory slide that you'll see here is a, a hopefully a more simplistic uh, way to visualize how the CIP equation works. So we have two sides of the C- CIF. Uh, calculation, one that calculates the impacts of housing units on County facilities and one that calculates the impacts of development on school facilities. So this top bar here is the CIF associated with County facilities, household size times the facility cost per capita is added to students per household times the cost of Sorry, school cost per student. And that equals the CIF, which is the basis of our standard and age restricted, as well as the urban multifamily attached CIF. So that's the basics. There is, um, this is the model that the board has used over. Um, the history of the CIF. So we're not right, making any recommendations to change this equation, but what we are making recommendations on is further differentiating and including additional capital intensity factors for your rec- for your review. Next slide. This is the last introductory slide. Apologies. Um, something else to remember is that uh, the CIF is calculated based on regions called planning sub areas. Those planning sub areas can be thought of as catchment areas for capital facilities. As you can tell, they do not align to election districts. Um, And these planning sub areas have been in place for at least two decades and do offer us a really good um, basis for the development of the CIF. I will note that residential rezonings are typically allowed in Eastern uh, Loudon, as well as in the transition area, but we do have CIFs calculated for Western Loudon in case the board did want to consider residential rezoning in those areas, but those CIFs are typically not used. Next slide. So your item in the packet this evening um, is, includes, um, recommendations by section. So again, the first section of your item, including attachments two through four, um, make recommendations on the basic, standard, um, and age-restricted CIF. Again, these are methodologies and approaches that you have seen previously, and all that staff has done in this round is update the inputs into the methodology. Um, so. Of note is the significant increases that the CIF calculation has experienced since it was last updated in 2017. Um, There were assumptions made previously about the need for middle and high schools in the 2014-2017 era. Basic assumption was no additional schools from LCPS's perspective were needed to be constructed. That has not ended up to be an accurate forecast, and so those facilities have been reincorporated into the capital intensity factor. Additionally, as you know, construction and land costs have increased since 2017, and so those costs are incorporated into the calculation. And then of course, minor demographic changes in population forecasts, as well as one or two new capital facility standards have been incorporated into the CIF calculation. Um, And we've made sure that we are aligning our recommendations with the forthcoming proposed capital needs assessment which should be coming to the finance committee in december and further information on the recommendations as well as the change between 2017 and 2023 are found in attachments two through four in your item next slide as part of the comprehensive plan uh, we were um, asked to consider developing a a capital intensity factor for the urban uh, policy area. And so we have recommendations in the item that would establish an urban MFA CIF for multifamily attached units in the urban policy area near the Ashburn but... near the Ashburn metro area um, it considers the increased cost of construction and land in that area but also considers the fact that units will likely be smaller and generate far less children than typical MFA's and so the overall reduction for the urban multifamily areas proposed um, for example for in the Eastern CIF a reduction of $6,300 per unit and that recommendation is included in attachment two to the item. Next slide. The next recommendation is um, the one that uh, staff has been working on most diligently over the last year or so. And this is in response to a few uh, recommendations in the implementation matrix related to the 2019 general plan. And that is to incorporate additional ways to differentiate the capital intensity factor by the size of a housing unit. Right now, the only differentiation between the CIF is based on housing types. So regardless if you build a 1,500 square foot single family detached, Unit or a 5,000 square foot single-family detached unit, uh, a developer is expected to mitigate the same impacts, the same dollar amount, um, and so the understanding is that the CIF can disincentivize or maybe not necessarily incentivize a diversity of of affordable housing, and so this recommendation to differentiate by the size of the unit. Is, is based on accomplishing some of the goals that were set out in the implementation uh, section of the comprehensive plan. We've described this approach in the item as a sliding scale approach, which depends upon the average size unit of typical multifamily attached, multifamily stacked, single-family attached and single-family attached units and then allows for developers to have to get a reduction in the expected cif if they proffer a square footage that is lower than the typically average unit of those different housing types so um if you could go to the next slide beth and then So this example, it's one in your item but I think it hopefully explains our recommendations a little bit more clearly. So the opportunity for a developer to proffer a square footage for a unit um, is being incorporated into this recommendation. Of course a developer doesn't have to proffer a size of square footage, um, so they would just follow the typical CIF process. But if a developer is interested in proffering a square footage that happens to be lower than the average square footage of a given unit, our recommendation would allow for a reduced rate of the CIF. So on the left-hand side of the screen, you see an example for developers, is building one through a residential rezoning, will be building one multifamily stacked unit. That CIF in the Eastern region would be $51,000, regardless of the size of the unit. But on the right side of the screen, this developer would proffer a smaller unit than average. So you'll see in the first bullet point, one multifamily stacked CIF is $51,000. The average square footage of a multifamily stacked unit is is about 2,100 square feet. The developer in this scenario is proffered a square footage of 1,500. And so based on the recommendation in the item, uh, that would allow the developer to get a reduction based on the difference between the average square footage and the proffered square footage, which is $600, times a $33 per square foot, which is further described in the item, equals 19,800. So in this situation instead of being expected to mitigate the impacts up to $51,000, a developer would be expected to instead mitigate the impact of on facilities in the amount of $31,200. So this we believe is very responsive to the sections of the comprehensive plan and policy direction of the board to begin to offer differentiated proffers by size, which will hopefully uh, go to incentivize or at least not disincentivize building smaller units. And finally, the item before you also includes staff's recommendations of the road CIF. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, this item has been before the Finance Committee twice previously, so I'm not going to go too far into depth on this item, but I would just remind the the Finance Committee, like, like other CIFs, this would vary by unit type. And based on our recommendations, instead of a flat $6,000 per unit, our recommendation um, of that CIF would vary between $1,100 and $3,900, depending on that unit. And the methodology incorporates transportation network capacity, the cost per lane mile, and the trips generated by different types of units. Further information on the methodology and our recommendations are included in Attachments 7 and 8. Next slide. And finally, our recommendation is that the Finance Committee recommend the Board advertise the 2023 capital intensity factors for future public hearing, as shown in Attachments 2, 5, and 7. And we are happy to take questions.
0: Okay, thank you very, very much. Questions, um, Supervisor Briskman.
8: Okay, so I read this a couple times, um, and what I was really looking for, and of course I'm just looking at the Eastern Region, Ashburn, Potomac, Sterling planning areas, planning sub-areas, I I couldn't get a comparison of what the CIF is now and what it will be under your recommendation.
9: Um, So attachment two, is the 2023 recommended CIF. Attachment three is the 2017. And then attachment four is actually the difference between those. So they are purple tables in your attachments, which show the difference between the 2023 to 2017. So if you're interested in the Eastern region, it's attachment Four, and I'm sorry, I don't have page numbers on the attachments um, to the item.
8: I guess I, I see total CIF, and I, if I flip back and forth, I can see that they're generally going up. But where's the where's the 2017 number in the purple charts?
9: The purple chart is the difference between 20. 20- 23 and 2017. So the green charts are actually what the 2017 numbers are. So the blue charts are 2023, and right. then the green charts are 2017. There's so no chart
8: that has basically a total CIF, the last column, the total CIF for 2017, and the total CIF for 2023 next
9: to each other. No. Okay. But the purple charts are the, the output of that comparison. So are you saying for a
8: single-family detached suburban, the difference in total CIF is 59,000? Yes. From 2017 to 20, 59,000 more or less? More. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, then I'm really glad we're offering the sliding scale. Yes. Okay. Um okay. <laughs> I think I had another question but I already forgot it so maybe I'll talk about it during the motion. Thanks. Okay. Uh Chair
5: Randall. Oh, I, I remembered it. Oh, damn.
16: Okay.
5: We can come back. Uh we'll come back, Chair Randall. First I want to I want to say to um Mr. Turner and to Ms. Burke, you guys have done such amazing work on all of these numbers and um, I appreciate it. Maybe now <clears throat> Mr. Turner did not have to call me every time he's leaving the FIC meeting and give me a report that I have not asked for. and Do not need, <laughs> maybe now that can happen, Mr. Turner. Um, but seriously, you guys have, I mean, amazing work. I do have two questions. On page six of the item, do you is there no changing the, um, the planning sub-areas as population in those sub-areas change? Your Can you repeat your question? I think I'm- Do you all change? Do you you rewrite the lines or redo the lines on the planning sub-areas as the population in those sub-areas change? No, we have not done that. And how long have these lines been in place?
4: They originated, I believe, back in the 1990s. So there have been a few very minor changes um, but they have stayed consistent and um, are used for proffered distributions as well.
5: Hmm. I may have more questions about that later, okay, because that I, I don't get how we don't address that. But I'll, I'll ask those later when I get up. And then um, on page 8, you know, there we always... And I think that we there was a reason we've made the assumption that smaller units yield less children, but this is a person we would have had an urban policy area, and if you look at other urban areas that actually have small units, they don't necessarily yield less children. It's just kind of the nature of the area that to have small small units. But not yield, but they still yield, yield the same amount of children. So, are we are we comparing ourselves in, in this urban policy, policy areas to other? And, and of course, we're not urban like New York, but we are, which which generates plenty of children in small homes. But we are urban, you know, urban more urban than we've ever been before in these areas. Where are we are, we how sure are we of these numbers that these smaller units in the urban area will generate less children?
9: That has been the experience of specifically Arlington County. They yeah. have a very similar approach to unit by unit analysis of children coming out of units. So we feel pretty certain that these are solid recommendations. However, these are recommendations that are more forward-thinking than necessarily based on Loudon's actual experience. Yeah, because we
5: don't have an urban area yet. Exactly. So So we need to, we we can adjust these in the future.
9: Exactly. We are meant to update this every two to four years, so we'll be able to incorporate those if we see something that's different.
5: Okay, thank you very much, and thank you seriously for all your hard work. Thank you back
8: to supervisor briskman thank you thank you for uh, humoring me something caught my eye in the presentation on page 5 and that's where we're talking about the formula and it says household size times facility cost per capita plus students per household times student school cost per student so the school cost per student is that the entire cost for a student from K through 12 or is that just the student cost for one year which i think is well i'm not going to guess what it is is it for like the whole
9: lifetime of a student it's specifically related to the capital cost of school construction versus maybe what you're thinking of the $19,000 yeah, per 17, yeah 17
8: but then i realize yeah. it might be behind oh, okay so this is just basically infrastructure cost not operating correct okay all right thank you
0: uh, supervisor Turner
14: thank you madam chair on page 26 of the item the purple chart that compares that the, it gives the difference between the standard and the, and the differentiated um, if I'm reading this correctly a multifamily attached uh, under the new process increases uh, by the CF by three thousand twenty one dollars and then if you look down at the urban multifamily attached it increases that CIF by thirty thousand eight hundred dollars. Except, I thought urban multifamily attached was a new category. So, how do we have anything to compare it to?
9: So the, the comparison is in FY in twenty seventeen. It's zero.
14: Oh, got it. So it's basically
9: it's a new CIF new, so intensive yes. factor thirty thousand eight hundred. Yes.
14: Gotcha. Thank you.
0: All right, I'm going to go to a motion. I move that the Finance, Government, Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors advertise the 2023 capital intensity factors for a future Board of Supervisors public hearing, as shown in Attachments 2, 5, and 7 to the November 14, 2023 Finance, Government, Operations, and Economic Development Committee action item is there second. Second by Supervisor Bristman. Any comments? All right. All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed, say nay. And that will pass for 01 with Supervisor Letourneau off the dais. Thank you both very, very much. Megan, you're probably going to have to hang around for budget items coming up too. I think so. Otherwise, I would tell you to get out of here. But thank you. All right, we move on to item 16 the phase construction of the Route 7 and Route 690 interchange. Got Nancy, Mark, Jim.
18: Good evening. Uh, as most of you may recall, we our department had come up to this committee on a monthly basis between September of 22 through April of 23 to give summaries of what's going on in the town of Bursil regarding the county CIP projects. So I'm not going to go through a lot of background on this particular item other than to just give a Broad overview since we've gone through a lot of that background in past meetings. Uh, where I'm going to start is for the Route 7690 project. Uh, when we left off in April, where we were as a department on that project is that uh, the plans for that project have been approved by VDOT, BD, and actually by the town uh, back. Uh, Around March of 22 and in that time frame and where we were uh, It was acquiring land for the project and so We've been going through that process for a while and when we left off in April uh, We essentially have methodologies in order to acquire all the land with the exception of a floodplain easement, which is in the interest of the town of Percival Uh, associated with the project which is in the area of one of the ramps from Route 7 to Route 690, which is referenced in the item as Ramp C, which is running from eastbound uh, Route 7 to uh, Route 690. In order to try to resolve that issue, uh, we had worked with town staff to adjust our plat associated with acquiring that land to break it down in such a way that all that we were going to make a request for was just to have that floodplain easement vacated by the town and we removed the interest of the actual HOA from that one particular instrument to try to simplify that process and we went through that in the spring of this year. And as part of that process, and it's similar to the way that the board also does things, is any kind of change in in land dedicating to another entity, you would go through a public hearing process. So as part of that process, we submitted a request to the town of Percival to go through a public hearing uh, regarding the vacation of that particular floodplain easement. And in June of this year, the town council... um, decided that they would not advertise a public hearing for that particular um, land interest in that floodplain easement so therefore uh, at that point the county had exhausted its ability to acquire all the land for this particular project to move to construction now the reason why that's important is given that this is a smart scale funded project, we need to follow the VDOT and FHWA rules re- regarding uh, authorization to go to construction. And one of those rules is you need to have totally unencumbered right of way in order to receive authorization for construction. So at this point, uh, we cannot get authorization for construction uh, for the total project. Uh, I will note as was mentioned in one of the updates earlier this year that uh, the county had petitioned Vdot to uh, assist or even potentially take on the land acquisition uh, task for the county and we would get into we would go into an agreement with them regarding that and uh, Vdot at that time declined to uh, enter an agreement with the te- with the uh, county to go forward on do land acquisition on behalf of the county. So that's where we were, uh, and that's kind of where we've ended up at around the June timeframe. Since that time, we've had ongoing discussions with VDOT on how can we continue with the development and construction of this interchange, uh, given this particular situation and. The solution that we have come up with collectively, and and I think we've mentioned it a little bit even in our updates in the spring, is potentially phasing the project. So essentially that's where we are right now, and by phasing the project that means that we would not build 100% of the design right now or at one time, but we would build, in this case, the majority of the project minus Ramp C in the near term, and then at a future date when we're able to, by whatever means we can work out, acquire the land interests that we need to to construct that ramp that would be done as a subsequent phase. So that is what basically we are requesting the Finance Committee to make a recommendation to the Board on to move forward in a phased approach on this particular project. And one of the items, or one of the issues that is mentioned in the issue section of this item is that in those discussions with VDOT, um, philosophically, they're in agreement with this approach, but from a practical standpoint, one of the issues that is important to them is that there is some sort of assurance that we will actually build phase two when that time comes and that we're not gonna just build a percentage of the project and keep it there forever. And where that comes into play, or or the the remedy that was suggested uh, that we're pursuing is to include dedicated funding in the county CIP, showing the funding for the phase two uh, within the six year period of the CIP, so we have provided some information to the Office of Management and Budget on how that can be implemented into the six-year CIP. And and frankly, it would probably be in the out year to work its way forward like any other project. But that is, I guess, one of the key elements of this phasing plan that we have put forth. And uh, other than that, uh, we're open to any questions you might have.
0: Very good.
5: Any questions, uh, Chair Randall? Oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> um, first of all, I, I do know how how m- much you all have worked with the Percival Town staff and how wonderful they were, and, and then the challenges that you found, not with the staff, but with the elected body. So I'm going to ask an incredibly unusual question question because i never ask you all political questions from the today but it's going to be a little bit of a political question do you remember the vote count when when they decided not to do this and i only ask because there has been an election since and it is possible that the change on the town council itself may change the decisions that have previously been made
18: I I don't remember because okay. uh, okay, I know in okay. some cases one of the members would either abstain or he would vote and that's why yeah. I, I would have to go back and look. At
5: the I'm record. gonna go I'm gonna go check that myself because a new election may have um, changed the dynamics of, of the of the council itself. And my next question is an opinion question. Um, we there has been some discussion between. Uh, MR. BUFFINGTON AND MYSELF AND MEMBERS OF, in, of THE COMMUNITY IN Percivale, THAT PERHAPS A, SOME TYPE OF A SURVEY OF THE RESIDENTS IN THE AREA TO SHOW WHAT THEY MIGHT WANT um, COULD BE HELPFUL IN MOVING THE TOWN COUNCIL ON THIS ITEM. SO I JUST WANT TO LET YOU ALL KNOW THAT THAT'S SOMETHING THAT IS BEING DISCUSSED and then my last question i think is the most obvious and obviously you know the phasing option is you know kind of the option that we have left to us because you know it's not the not what we want to do but it's what it's what is available do we know um the cost differential for the phasing option depending on when and if ramp c was 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 well, that, that land was acquired, and Raps, Ramp C could be built. Because I imagine it's it's less money to do everything kind of at one time than to do it in a, in in this kind of
18: piecemeal way. I I would say, well, yes, that what what you articulate is correct. That if you can do everything in one mobilization, it's mm-hmm. obviously more cost effective than doing it in mm-hmm. two mobilizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I, I would expect. That, um, you know, because of delays of getting through this process, that the, the overall cost of building the interchange minus ramp C is probably very similar to what the cost was. Oh, okay, you think? You know.
5: Okay. Okay.
18: No, without the ramp C, and then, but coming in and doing the ramp C uh, at a later date just that aspect uh, we have roughly estimated being about another three million dollars in 2023 money and so however that equates to whenever it's actually built that that's that's the delta in construction cost now in the item we we mentioned that because of this phasing the, there is a need to redesign some of the elements right. Particularly right. drainage. Right. I mean, it's it's not you know you don't see it above ground, but uh, a lot of the water that or a lot of the drainage that was in the original design was going some of it was going to that floodplain area, and basically we've re- had to redirect of that drainage, and so the, there is a fairly substantial redesign process that we have. Uh, are going through right now, and is, is listed in the item. Um, we came back to you and the board several months ago to get a contract increase in the neighborhood of like nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars, just to go through uh, redesign, go through. In, in addition to just the design, we have to have reevaluate our NEPA document, go through, reevaluate the smart scale funding uh, scoring. Uh, so, so there has been a lot of reevaluation we ha- had to go through to re- reevaluate all the traffic to ensure that by eliminating this one ramp it's not going to create uh, significant new traffic issues both at this interchange as well as at 7287 which is also another active capital project so uh, there, there's been quite an amount quite a bit of reanalysis and mm-hmm. New design work mm-hmm. in order to implement this change. Mm-hmm. So, you got the construction cost add as well as the design add. So, I mean, mm-hmm. right off the top, it's you know four million in twenty three, dollars, and, you know, we're still going through the review process with VDOT. So, I mean, okay. that's a preliminary number.
0: All right, Thank all you. right, uh, Supervisor Briskman, you're good. All right, I'm going to go to a motion. I move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve phased construction of the Route 7 and Route 690 interchange, which removes Ramp C from the initial phase of construction and constructs Ramp C in a subsequent phase after land rights are acquired from the town of Percival. Is there a second? Second by Supervisor Briskman. Any comments? All right. Uh, Chair Randall. So
5: for the purpose of of, um, having a parliamentary option, I'm going to vote no on this item, not because I don't understand what we're doing and why and how much time this is taking and all that, but I want to take, for lack of a better word, one more run at the town council, Um, one, post-election, and two... If there is a a a study that is a survey that is implemented um, to help the town council understand, well, encourage the town council to understand what their citizenry actually may want, and so by voting no, I I you know if this passes. Um, Actually, you have to be in the prevailing side of the vote. So I will wait to see what the prevailing side of the vote is and vote whatever the prevailing side of the vote is. I, I don't... I, I know what we're doing and why. Um... <clears throat> I, I wish we weren't here, and, I'm, and I know all of you wish we weren't here as well, and we I hear it from, I know Mr. Buffington wishes we weren't here, and I hear it from um, my constituents who live in Percival that this is not what we want to do. So I, I need to vote with intentionality today, um, where, whichever side that might land on, that would allow me to bring this back if I need to, after having some further discussions with the Percival Town Council, um, and after looking at what their vote was when they decided not to include this or not to do the, um, to do the easement. And perhaps if, if, one, if anybody who voted in that way has changed their mind since then, or two, if the election has changed anything, or three, if a survey that they see from their constituents would change anything. And so um, I, I support what we're trying to do. And hope it's not necessary. If I can take one more run it with Mr. Buffington, he and I can take one more run at trying to see if something can be done different. Because I, I think this this vote was done in June from the from the town council, right? That was that's when that was. Correct. Okay, yeah, that was that was a while ago, and and I I am hearing different things. I am hearing a different different messages coming out of the town council right now, so. Um, I'm going to I'm going to vote on whatever the prevailing side of this vote is, so that I can bring it back if I have to, um, and 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 hopefully maybe we don't have to do it this way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I know you all are tired of this. I get it. <laughs> I'm look, I am looking at your face. I get it. But, we're, but we're, I'm gonna try to make one more run though. Okay. All right. Thank you. Supervisor Sainz, did you have something?
1: Well, I just wanted to point out to the chair, because I know you mentioned the, the elections, only one member I changed. I
5: know one member changed, but if it w- if, if it was a one member vote, then one member is all the t- I don't know the, I don't know the vote number. It, w- it was
1: not a vote. But but I admire you for trying again, so go ahead and do your thing. I admire you for <laughs> trying. So good luck to you, Mr. Buffington. But I'm out of the effort. <laughs>
13: All right. All in Chair, favor? Chair. Please, not, oh, if I may. Yes. So, if there is some concern with the committee, we can always keep this in committee until December. If you would like to do that. Let's um, let's we, get
0: if, a read before we vote. Then, um, <coughs> Vice Chair Sains, are you inclined to vote yes?
1: Uh, I, was prepared to vote I was prepared to vote tonight, yes, for it. But if we wanna. And
0: well, let me let me see. Uh, I'm with that, Supervisor Brisman. Were you inclined to vote yes? Um, yes,
8: but I will go with the prevailing mood of the board if we want. To I'm inclined to, want to vote to. yes,
0: so that would be the prevailing vote. Would be yes. Does that reassure anybody?
5: Vote yes to do what? To pass it tonight or to, to keep the committee?
0: The, to pass the motion tonight
5: no I would I would I would want to it, what do we lose by keeping this in committee for one yes yeah, one month
13: oh so, so next week's Thanksgiving your next next committee is gonna be December 13th nothing's gonna happen with this if you keep it until
1: December finance committee yeah, let's just keep it one I would say let's just keep it one more meeting and give the chair and I agree. Buffington an opportunity
0: all right. So, am I hearing go forward with the vote then,
1: No, no or I'm not? You're saying keep it in committee, give right. an opportunity to do the outreach one last time, and okay. then bring it back in December.
0: All right, um, Mr. Hemstreet, do you need a vote of any sort then? I think you need to withdraw the motion that's on the table.
13: Yeah. If there's nothing on the table, if there, yeah. If the motion's withdrawn, then we'll just bring it back.
0: I'll withdraw next. the motion. Does my second that's one? fine? Okay. WE'RE WITHDRAWING THE MOTION THEN. THIS WILL STAY IN COMMITTEE. THANK YOU ALL VERY MUCH. ALL RIGHT, WE MOVE ON TO ITEM NUMBER 17, ROUTE 50 CARTER IMPROVEMENTS PROJECT, PROPOSED SCOPE CHANGES, ADJUSTMENT TO PROGRAM FUNDING AND CAPITAL IMPROVEMENT PROGRAM AMENDMENT.
16: And I'll just uh, mention while Lou's getting set up that Susan Glass was originally scheduled and anticipating being here for this briefing. and unfortunately, she's not she really was going downhill fast this afternoon. so yes. <laughs> so Lou, Lou is uh, Lou is going to do the presentation. well i'm I'm glad right. I'm glad you sent her home.
19: Thank you, uh, Madam Chair, for your patience there. Um, We're here to present the item on the Route 50 corridor improvements project. There are three parts to this item. It's a scope change to the project, an adjustment to the program funding, and a request for a CIP amendment. Uh, Before I go on, I'll just give a little bit of background since this is somewhat of an unusual uh, that the Route 50 corridor improvement project was initiated to implement improvements that were recommended uh, by the Loudon-Fairfax Route 50 task force in corridor study. Uh, it was endorsed by the board in December of 2017. Uh, at the meeting, the board directed staff to incorporate specific tier one short-term improvements that were identified in that item into the uh, FY, FY 19 to 24 CIP for further discussion, evaluation, prioritization, and those improvements were at uh, four locations. Uh, They were identified at Gateway Village Place, Medical Drive, at Loudoun County Parkway, at Tall Cedars Parkway, and at Pleasant Valley Road. Uh, The recommended short-term improvements were intended to address operational issues that existed at the time along the Route 50 corridor at specific locations, and the adopted budget at that time included a project uh, for this uh, programming in total of approximately $6.8 million. In 2019, the county DTCI asked VDOT to administer the project. The county subsequently applied for SMART scale funding for the project and w- were awarded approximately $1.3 million in FY 2020. The project also received approximately $3.9 million of federal highway infrastructure program funding and a portion of those funds were later swapped for some regional surface transportation funding due to some time, time uh, timing, uh, commitment um, limitations. So at, there are as I mentioned, there are several intersections um, at this uh, that are affected by this item. Uh, when VDOT began working on the Route 50 corridor improvements in early 2020, it was apparent that some of the existing conditions and assumptions back from 2017 um, were no longer valid due to um, changing conditions in the corridor. Uh, specifically at uh, Gateway Village Place and Medical Drive, there was significant opposition to the proposed closure of a median break. Uh, and so that uh, improvement is proposed to be removed from the scope of the project. Uh, the next uh, intersection at Route 50 and Spring Road, as you may recall, that was a T intersection. But since that time, uh, the Arcola Boulevard was proffered and developed by uh, entities north of Route 50 and that significantly changed the forecasting, forecasted travel patterns and the uh, intersection is essentially a different location than, than it had been back in 2017. Uh, when Arcola Boulevard is completed, it'll provide more direct access to the north and east to Loudoun County Parkway and Route 606. And significantly changed travel patterns. Uh, and then lastly, because of that, the original scope also uh, uh, had improvements to the Route 50, Loudoun County Parkway intersection to uh, extend those turn lanes, the dual left turn lanes to extend those. Uh, Because of the anticipated travel pattern shift, those are uh, requested or proposed to be removed from the the project. Finally, uh, two other intersections at Tall Cedars Parkway, there was a free-flowing right-turn lane onto eastbound Route 50. That has been removed due to a conflict with the entrance to the Pleasant Valley Church, slightly to the east of that location. And at the last intersection part of this at Pleasant Valley Road, uh, there are no changes. There will be a, uh, a fourth uh, westbound auxiliary lane added uh, from just prior to Pleasant Valley Road, and that lane would drop at Tall Cedars Parkway. Uh, Some of the graphics, just briefly, um, at Gateway Village Place and Route 50, there was a median closure proposed. That is no longer the case and proposed to remain as a traffic signal. At Gum Spring Road and Route 50, uh, there was a free-for-right turn proposed. Uh, That's been eliminated, but there now has been an extension of the uh, westbound, um, yeah, the um, excuse me, an extension. This is the original scope, I apologize. There was an extension of the westbound uh, turn lane at that location, and with the scope change, there'd be still an extension, but an additional turn lane added to handle the additional uh, demand, making that westbound and northbound movement onto the new Arcola Boulevard. At Laden County Parkway, as I mentioned, uh, the original scope at the bottom of the slide Proposed extending those turn lanes with that shift in travel patterns back to the west to Arcola Boulevard, Uh, that's no longer proposed. Again, at Tall Cedars Parkway, the right turn lane, or the free flow right turn is no longer proposed uh, due to the conflict with the church driveway to the east. And then at Pleasant Valley Road in that vicinity, no change to the scope. So the second part of this item is the proposed adjustment to program funds. Uh, There are approximately $1.3 million of smart scale revenue that were programmed for the project, and that needs to be considered by the board because it is subject to the Commonwealth Transportation Board policy. Specifically, if smart scale revenue is retained on the project, the CTB's policy prohibits the county from seeking additional smart scale for any improvements to intersections That had previously really received the funding for two additional funding cycles after completion of construction. So in this case. If we were to retain that 1.3 million dollars, we would not be able to apply for smart scale funding until 2034 and wouldn't receive that funding until 2038 assuming a 2029 completion of these short term improvements uh, that are being discussed here. And finally, the last part of the item is a budget adjustment, Um, and per the agreement the county entered into with VDOT, uh, we're obligated to provide VDOT with with the local funds for the project that were agreed to. Uh, The county established two capital project accounts and approximately $230,000 was expended for staff salaries, and we're requesting a budget adjustment to move those funds back uh, to the um, CIP contingency. That concludes the presentation.
16: And and if I might add, just for a moment, if you could go back to slide 10, I just wanted to add for the uh, committee's benefit, uh, what we are recommending is the return of those smart scale funds so that we could be eligible. Ah, I just wanted to emphasize that. We're recommending that return so that we can be eligible for more.
19: Very
0: good, okay. I'm gonna go to a motion. I move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee Recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve the scope changes presented in Table 1 of the November 14th 2023 FGO EDC action item I further move that the Finance Government Operations and Economic Development Committee Recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve the proposed adjustment to the program funding presented in Table 3 OF THE NOVEMBER 14, 2023 FGO EDC ACTION ITEM AND DIRECT STAFF TO NOTIFY THE VIRGINIA DEPARTMENT OF TRANSPORTATION TO RESEND THE $1,292,500 OF SMART SCALE REVENUE ALLOCATED TO THE ROUTE 50 CORRIDOR IMPROVEMENTS PROJECT AND I FURTHER MOVE. That the Finance Government Operations and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve the amendment of the FY twenty twenty four CIP by authorizing the execution of a budget adjustment to move two hundred and twenty-nine thousand seven hundred and eleven dollars and four cents from the CIP contingency count to the Route fifty Carter Improvements Project in the Capital Projects Fund. Is there a second? Second by Supervisor Sainz. Any discussion Chair Randall?
5: Wow, first of all, I just really don't like giving back Spa go money. <laughs> it's just painful. Um, but just to be clear with the the, the CTP, CTB regulations and and, we, and you're right, we should give it back for, for all the reasons we just said it would if we didn't give it back, it would only be on this project, right? Yes. Okay, all right. but yeah we have to we have to yeah <laughs> thank you.
0: All right. All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed, say nay, and that'll pass 401 with Supervisor Letourneau off the dice. Thank you all very very much. Uh, item 18: Fast Track Commercial Incentive Program update. That's Buddy. Hey, Buddy.
2: Uh, good evening. Uh, the Board of Supervisors established the Fast Track program incentive in 2012 to support economic development and to create a business-friendly environment. The incentive has been instrumental in attracting billions of dollars in investment over the last eight uh, 11 years. Fast Track brought in 42, 43.22 billion of in investment and 17,258 jobs to the county. Um, the time to market is critical for all businesses. And uh, the delays often will mean financial losses. Fast Track has been a significant competitive advantage for us and has been copied by a lot of other communities around us. Uh, Fast Track program is a team effort involving coordination between seven county agencies. This includes multiple divisions in building and development, the Department of Transportation and Capital Infrastructure, Planning and Zoning, Loudon Water, and VDOT. Our partners in D, especially Betsy Smith, Anita Tierney, and Zeb Foltz, have been exceptional. Today, to be eligible for fast track, projects must be either allowed under the zoning ordinance as by right without requiring board approval or have obtained all required legislative approvals. Historically, fast track projects have received final approval in an average of five months compared to nine months for non fast track projects. AS THE PROGRAM HAS EXPANDED AND RESOURCES HAVE BEEN STRETCHED, APPROVAL TIMES HAVE BEEN INCREASING DUE TO LIMITED LAND AVAILABILITY uh, AND SOME OF THE CHALLENGES THAT COME WITH THE LAND THAT REMAINS. At the Board's direction, DED, D, and County Administration have reviewed the program and process and have made a few recommendations that you'll see in your item. Amongst them, uh, evaluate all projects for alignment with the 2019 General Plan by reviewing the core, complementary, and conditional uses within each place type before recommending inclusion in the Fast Track program. Revise timelines to be more realistic given current conditions. Uh, FAST TRACK PROGRAMS SHOULD uh, BE, PROJECTS SHOULD BE HELD TO A HIGHER STANDARD. Um, CONSIDER REMOVING PROJECTS FOR THE PROGRAM IF THEY DO NOT MEET THE TIMELINES UNLESS THERE ARE EXTENUATING CIRCUMSTANCES. Uh, WE'VE PUT MORE some more DETAILS IN THE ITEM IN POINTS 2A AND B ON PAGE 3 OF THAT ITEM. AND REIMPLEMENT A PROJECT REVIEW AFTER COMPLETION. Uh, THIS WAS PREVIOUSLY DONE AND proved BENEFICIAL FOR ALL PARTIES INVOLVED. Uh, WE'VE KIND OF GOTTEN AWAY FROM IT OVER THE LAST uh Few YEARS DUE TO WORKLOAD, BUT I THINK THAT WE SHOULD BRING THAT BACK. Uh, FINALLY, REVIEW AND ANALYZE THE PROGRAM TO re- cha- RECOMMEND CHANGES TO THE BOARD REGARDING STRUCTURE AND STAFFING. Uh, THIS MAY INVOLVE a DEDICATED FAST TRACK TEAM, IT'S SOMETHING THAT uh, WE'VE BEEN TALKING ABOUT or additional staff support. The original program was designed for 15 projects a year, and we consistently exceed that number. And that does not include uh, the school programs or other VDOT or board priorities. So um, with that, uh, I'm happy to take any questions
5: very good okay chair Randall so not much so much a question as a statement so you know these fast-track applications in your department these things pay for themselves when they we when get them through so you know as we get ready to walk into the new budget season I'm really happy that we're looking at the staffings around this and if there needs to be a you know fast track team fast track department whatever we need because you know it, by not doing it we lose out on revenue so I'm, I'm really happy that that's going to be part of the recommendations so sure. thank you thank you very
0: okay i'm going to make the motion i move that the finance government operations and economic development committee recommend that the board of supervisors approve the changes to the fast track incentive program as described in the november 14 2023 finance government operations and economic development committee action item is there a second 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 by supervisor briskman supervisor briskman did you
8: have some questions I just wanted to thank uh, Buddy for looking at this. I think that we've been talking about it for a little bit. Um, And uh, I I would certainly um, support a team that does just this if they would have enough work, but I think they would. Mm. So yeah, thanks for the recommendations.
0: Very good. Uh, Supervisor Turner.
14: Uh, Thank you very much. Um, The item number, uh, the sub bullet one in the recommended changes, I just want to highlight the fact um, I had uh, several discussions with county staff and Mr. Reiser. Um, no, what this does is it says, if you get an application that is a mismatch because our comprehensive plan and our zoning ordinance don't align. So it doesn't align with the comprehensive plan, but it is a by right application under the current zoning. There were a number of those were going straight to fast track. What this allows staff to do is say, does this comport with the 2019 comprehensive plan? If it does not, it can say, then you shouldn't be on fast track. You can still do the normal process, you can still go legislation, but you can't be on fast track if you're not in alignment with the comprehensive plan. I think that's a good, important, powerful tool for staff to have, so I commend Mr. Reiser for that. I think it's a good change, thank you.
0: All right, all in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed, nay. That will pass 401 with Supervisor Letourneau off the dais. Buddy, thank you very much. Uh, the final item is item 19, the FY 2025 Budget Development Budget Guidance. Megan and Caleb are back.
13: Going to stay for the skin to lady budget
10: guidance.
13: Wow. It's not like the old days, Megan. Everybody hates budget. (laughs) We're ready. Uh, Thank you, uh, Chair Rumstadt and uh, committee members. Uh, I think at this point we've briefed all the finance committee members. The presentation I'll give is uh, very similar to the one that we did during your individual briefings. Uh, Our budget guidance is really designed for the continuation of the current body's uh, term and the things that you've been doing during your term and then continuing into FY25. So the item you'll see tonight is very, is really represents a continuation of the, of the work that the current board has been doing uh, into the next fiscal year. So the overall for Loudoun County, our economic outlook remains positive. Uh, there are some indications out there that, uh, that there could be a recession over the next year. Uh, most, of, most of the economists and, and those that predict those things who have been wrong for the last uh, year, 18 months, I'll point out, but uh, there still is probably a a better than average chance that we'll see some type of recession in the next 12 to 15 months, and the overall predictions are that it'll be relatively short and shallow. Uh, However, in the local area, when we talk about local governments, uh, Loudoun, is better positioned than many of our neighbors uh, to our east. One of the main reasons of that is because when we talk about the basis of Loudoun County's revenues, uh, we are, as you know, heavily invested with uh, with data center revenue. And so when we look at our projections and where the data center market is headed within Loudoun County, uh, that growth continues to, to be very robust, and it is, a key reason why uh, the county has been able to uh, do the things that we've been doing over the last few years. The vast majority of our growth in our budget, uh, both for the schools and for the county government, has been funded through data center revenue, and that is projected to continue over the next uh, five to 10 years. Uh, When we look at uh, communities to the east of us, so Fairfax County, Arlington County, uh, Washington, D.C., um, Alexandria, uh, and then the Maryland jurisdictions. When we look at local government, local government is heavily funded by property tax. Those, many of those jurisdictions I just mentioned, a lot of their property tax is a high percentage commercial. That commercial is heavily uh, office product. And so what we're looking at for those areas is, Potentially a downturn because of what has happened with remote work, what has happened with uh, the failure of the federal government to return to to work, uh, which is starting to be seen and make itself known in there, in the ways that those counties make money. Now, economic activity is still there, so what we're talking about is very specific to the revenue stream that those localities depend on in order to fund their operations. So for the for Loudoun County, because our commercial property mix is uh, heavily data center, we are not gonna see those same influences that uh, those jurisdictions to the east of us are gonna have. So I do need to make sure the board understands that our forecast for real and personal property, which is 72, 75% of our revenue base uh, is heavily dependent on data center. So When we look at our financial outlook, what we do want to say to the board is, we're not suggesting that the board allow data centers to develop where you don't want them to develop. However, we would say please recognize the fact that we are heavily dependent on that industry. So in those areas where you're saying that it's okay for them to be, we should let them be. Now, having said that, we have established over the last few years several tools that kind of mitigate the risks that are inherent in our revenue mix. So, we've talked a lot over the last three years about personal property taxes coming from data center or computer equipment, and how that is a depreciating revenue source in order to maintain the same amount of money or revenue coming in year over year, or much less an increase, which is what we're seeing, there either needs to be growth in the industry, meaning growth in the number of computers or in the number of computers and the value of that equipment. So uh, we're heavily dependent on expansion and we're heavily dependent upon uh, refresh, so equipment being replaced in order to maintain property value. So because of that, we've really put together three Different tools to help smooth out kind of this uneven stair step of how the revenue increases uh, to make it look like a trend, more like a trend line. So, the last thing that we're recommending being added, uh, which Ms. Burke talked about earlier uh, this evening in another item, is the creation of a revenue stabilization fund for uh, data center revenue. Uh, We also uh, would recommend that. We continue to lower the personal property tax rate as we see incredible, or what I would say, exponential increases in personal property tax revenue from computer equipment, and then also continue to maintain a ratio of real property to other taxes of somewhere around 50 to 60%. So those are kind of three tools that we're using to even out uh, the impact of of data center uh, revenue to our overall portfolio. So, what we're recommending for FY25 for guidance is that you provide me direction to prepare the budget at the current real property tax rate of 87 and 5 cents. So if you look at the, the screen that, the scenario that we're recommending that you give direction on is kind of in that red box, which would be a real property tax rate of 87 and 5 half cents was the current rate Now, because of the growth in the personal property tax revenue, we are also recommending that in tax year 25, or the second half of of the fiscal year, that you would lower the personal property tax rate to $4.10, that's correct, right? So $4.15 in the first half, and then $4.10 in the second half. Uh, What that would result in is the growth of those revenues that you're seeing on the screen, total change in revenue would be in an increase of about $218 million. Now, uh, what that does for us is that that'll fund the majority of the county needs that that we're aware of at this time, and the majority of the school division needs that we're aware of at this time. Uh, The other thing that we put up there, just for uh, comparison purposes, is the new revenue that would be generated at the equalized rate. So right now we would project the real property e-close rate to be about 83 cents. Now, in order to maintain that ratio of real property for your revenue for your portfolio at somewhere around 50%, that would require a lowering of the real of the personal property tax rate in the second half of the year to three dollars and sixty cents. So that generates about 98 million in new revenue year over year. Uh, when we run through all of our ratios. Uh, That does not generate sufficient revenue to cover uh, projected pay increases and uh, base budget increases on the county side. So we would be uh, recommending some reductions to you if you were to ask us to go to the equalized rate. So for that reason, we're not recommending that as a scenario. Uh, The recommended rate would allow us to prepare a budget that, as I said in the beginning, would continue uh, the kinds of things that this board has has been doing during your during your current term. When we talk about expenditures, so we talk about revenues, we talk about expenditures. Uh, the CIP at this point, we know we can cover uh, all of the existing projects that are in the CIP, and then there is capacity for us to add some additional projects. So at this point, the CIP looks to be in, in fairly good shape, um, and we will be able to continue uh, the program uh, with all of the existing projects that you have. Uh, and including some that you have said are important for us to to add with the additional two years that come into the CIP uh, with this this budget. Uh, for pay and benefits, we have budgeted um, our assumptions consistent with FY24. So for FY24, what we were looking at is what we have implemented. The board implemented or approved was uh, overall six um, percent pay increase for fire and rescue and general employees, and then an overall 9% increase for law enforcement. So at this point, we know that number is, you know, is around $30 million that exists in this current uh, recommendation. There are some adjustments that I know the board is looking at uh, as part of the collective bargaining process. Uh, At this point, I think we, we believe we'll be able to cover what has been part of the board discussion Within the tax rate, that's the current tax rate that we're recommending. Uh, we'd also be able to cover our base budget increases. Uh, base budget makes up makes about is made up about two different categories. One is annualization of of current programs that have been started during the year, as well as uh, increases in contracts and um, impacts of inflation to products and things of that nature. That's about thirty million dollars when you add those two uh pieces together uh and then we're able to fund uh new resources which is the opening of new of capital new capital facilities that are coming online and then uh we'll be able to get into board and then department priorities uh, right now the budget proposal would provide 60 uh, percent of new local tax funding to the Loudoun county public schools when we get into the chart you'll see that the 60 percent, even at this rate doesn't fully cover at least the initial request that we've received or or initial um, estimate that we've seen from the superintendent. So this chart gets into the specific numbers I just talked about. So the first thing we always fund is uh, debt service or additional debt service, uh, CIP costs. Uh, The housing increments, so this is just a variance table, so that's the increase of the half penny based off the increase in overall value for housing, uh, if you recall for LCPS, we did provide them 16.3 million in, in uh, FY22 year, FY23, no, FY23, all right, I got my right fiscal year for a change. Fiscal 23 year and fund balance, so that was one time money, so the first thing we need to do is annualize that, so that that comes off the top of a recurring revenue. Uh, talked about the compensation number, The base budget adjustments are those next two rows, so you would add that 16.5 and 15.7 million together, so it's a little over 30 million uh, for base budget adjustments. Right now, today, uh, we've received over $42 million in department and uh, board and um, uh, new opening or capital facilities opening requests. Uh, The board traditionally funds uh, somewhere around 20 to $30 million. So I don't know that you'll see all of those requests within this guidance, but uh, you know, to just give you an idea of where you've been traditionally, uh, you got about 10 million or so in, in capital facilities opening and then another 12 to 15 million in department requests and board priorities. Uh, as you can see, the LCPS initial number is an increase of 131 million. Uh, that is a little bit higher than what we've been seeing in the past, but keep in mind that because of the size of their budget, just to cover their pay increases is about $70 million, right? To just kind of put that number in context, So just pay increases for LCPS is about 70 million. And then when you start covering their base budget adjustments and stuff like that, you're, we're getting close to, to 95 to 100 million just with you year over year changes. Uh, So the 131 would would include those things, plus perhaps some new programs that they wanna propose, uh, opening of additional schools or new schools that that will come online, all that would be above that base budget adjustment. So when we put this together, um, you see the numbers that are on the chart. Uh, We have about 156 million after we net things out in that of funds that are available to go towards the expenditures I just talked about, that breaks out to about 94 million in new money for the Loudoun County Public Schools. That is against uh, the 131 million that they've uh, identified initially. So uh, we know that these numbers will get a little bit better when we come back to you for final guidance, if you approve the 87 and 5 cents Tonight, we'll come back for final guidance with the board uh, in January. Um, and these numbers will be a little bit better. But for right now, we think we can work with these numbers. The issue that we'll have, the concern we'll have is really uh, where does the board want to end up with the public schools funding? Uh, I know or we think right now we'll be, we'll be just with the current tax rate, probably a little better than 100 million. So. Uh, so that's why we're comfortable with this number. If the if the finance committee is willing to recommend it, um, that's the last chart, right? Now. So that is the presentation. Uh, staff and I can take questions. Uh, we can.
0: Okay. <clears throat> All right. Any questions?
5: Chair Randall. Thank you, uh, Mr. Hemstreet, and everyone. So this. Um, I, I need to spend more time digging into the LCPS request and why it is this high. I, you know, I, I, I'm not one of those people that believes that you have to just always compare the request to the student, to the student population if it falls or if it rises because there's other things to be um, taken into consideration. And as you said, the vast majority of that money is, is a, a salary and benefits for our educators and they certainly deserve it. And At VACO, one of the things that was talked about in some detail was the JLARC study that came out and the JLARC study that showed that Virginia um, um, is, is falls toward the bottom of the um, states overall in education funding and that we fall below West Virginia, we fall lo- below Kentucky, and for each child it's about $1,900 that we, we probably should be putting into each, each student. Um, one of the things that was talked about in length is that, you know, when the school system, a school system needs or is talking about money, they always, for obvious reasons, comes to the Board of Supervisors or a board of supervisors and there's it, there's rarely time when they go to the general assembly members which is why I I actually want the would like to see the new school board at the Ledge meeting with the general assembly members to have this discussion of yeah sure let's talk to us but let me introduce you to you know to, to your <laughs> state delegates and state senators as well um, and so you know is it is it possible because you know we don't, we don't, the supervisors we don't, and we shouldn't have the relationship with Dr. Spence that you do. That that relationship is really for our, for, you know, for me to have with the school board members. Um, all nine of them are new, and so there's just some things that they won't be able to answer. No, normally they could, but they won't be able to answer. Uh, is it possible before we get kind of deeper into these discussions to have a discussion with Dr. Spence through you or in any way about the um, about the school cost that we're looking at right now? I just want to I want to know that I know that I know that I understand wh- why that request is so much higher than or, or not so much but higher than it has been in the past. Um, he, of course, is new. Maybe he's trying to do some new things we just don't know about that we really support. But how can we have some, you know, maybe, you know, some time with him to to understand what what that request is about? Because it is it, it is it is quite significant, and I don't know that any new new incoming school board member would be able to have that discussion.
13: Yeah, Thank so you. So, I think it's attachment one to tonight's item does provide. We did attach the the memo that we received from Dr. Spence, mm-hmm. so he does kind of outline where his request is coming from. Um, I, I,
5: sorry, oh, and what
13: it, what, is comp- what the components are? A lot of it is salary and benefits of existing staff. The you know he does have a range for enrollment growth of zero to twenty three million. So. That's what we're saying right now. The projection looks like enrollment growth being relatively flat. So if that were zero, then they're closer to 113 million. Mm-hmm. And so now, as we just talked about in the slide, you know, so we're going to be. That was very actually negative
5: 12. So zero is good. I thought it was actually a negative 12 enrollment difference.
13: Right, but that. So this far out, if we assumed it was zero, then he's going to be somewhere around $113 right, off of that. If we're corrected where we think the guidance is going to end up, you're going to be, we think you'll probably be within $10 million of that at the current tax rate with the guidance, for example, right? So we're still, uh, you know, this is November, middle of November, so we're still a little far out to get our numbers too exact. But that's why when we look at where we think he's going to be, and we look at where we think our revenue numbers are gonna end up, we think current tax rate, if you give me guidance there, we can kind of put the budget together around that and kind of accomplish everybody's needs. Now, we'll come back in first meeting January with final guidance. We'll have better numbers from him. He'll be closer to his proposed budget. Uh, I think he's already talked with the CIP, or he might be speaking tonight. He is talking with the school board tonight around their CIP proposal, um, which will be finalized so you know capital is starting to come together for both of us and then um, we think we're gonna end up being pretty close to that's a long-winded answer to your question Chair Randall but that's that's where that's why we think we're 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 gonna be okay at the current tax rate nice chair Sains
1: well uh, thank you thank you for the presentation mr. Heming Street and staff for all the work you're doing on this I was just gonna simply say the I you know you put it in your your PowerPoint you have equalized tax rate and current current rate scenario, I was just gonna say the equalized tax rate is a non-starter with me, so, uh, because you look at the numbers, you get your update for your briefing from staff in advance, there's no way that's gonna work for anything, so it's a non-starter, so hopefully uh, our colleagues have gotten their updates or will be getting their updates and and asking their questions, but I just wanted to put that on the record that equalized tax rate is a non-starter for me, so. Okay,
8: Uh, Supervisor Briskman. Thank you, Um, so, I feel like in previous years, we had to decide about funding board priorities. So is it is it that we've disposed of this term's board priorities pretty much and we're just gonna wait for the next term's board priorities?
13: No, so we'll, we have a list of board priorities. So what I would say is we're at what we would call kind of preliminary budget guidance, mm-hmm. so we know, in kind of right now at this stage, the best thing I can give you is we're kind of dealing with the budget in round number categories, mm-hmm. and so by the time I present the budget to you in February, I'll have I'll be down to specific numbers. Okay. the The challenge here is I need to kind of understand from from the from finance and then from the board, what tax rate are you really thinking about, and then what kinds of things are you looking at to put into the budget so at this point what i'm saying is if if you think you're going to be fairly consistent with where you have been you know and the big numbers are like pay increases right for staff that's a big number yeah Um, are you going to continue to fund the base budget which is a 30 million dollar increase this year that's that's a big number or do i need to go back and reduce base budgets right Mm -hmm. so so that's really, and then we know we have a few million dollars in, I mean, we can tell you what they are. We have a few million dollars in in board priorities that have been sent to the FY25 budget process. So we're okay. carrying all of those right now. Okay, that's uh, fine. That's
8: good. That answers my question. And then
13: we'll be more specific with you okay. w- when we get there. But if the board's going to say, no, we don't want you to prepare the budget with the current tax rate, we yeah. think you should be at 86 cents, then yeah. I need to know that because that impacts Yeah the d- direction that I give to the departments and then what I present to you. So.
8: Okay, okay, and I, I would agree that, I mean, with 77 million of the new funding for LCPS being for, for salaries and benefits that, you know, so hopefully we'll get close um, at the 87 and a half. Um, does the, uh, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but does the LCPS budget request assume state funding at a certain level it does. Okay. And okay. So keep
13: in mind the memos he, he's given us, he's kind of at the same place. We are. Big number. Budget's still kind of these big categories. Uh huh. Um, which is why, in talking to him, I think, we think we're think we fairly confident that at the current tax rate, we should be able to yeah. do you know, okay. the majority of what he
8: needs. Uh, well, I'm comfortable with the recommendation of staying at the current tax rate. I think that's reasonable, and I would. Uh, I hope that the Finance Committee goes with that guidance. Thank
5: you. Uh, Chair Randall? Thank you. So j- just to put a finer point on what Ms. Brickspin was saying, so the the recommendation assumes what that the state's going to be
13: doing. So we would assume that they're going to... Um, and when,
5: <laughs> and when.
13: <laughs> well, so we know we know where where they are right now, right? So we know what they're funding today. Uh, we also would anticipate that they're going to do inflationary increases. Mm-hmm. We have access, so uh, state finance, or I'm sorry, Senate finance is meeting mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. They are. We have yeah. some initial projections from... The Commonwealth, in terms of what they think their revenue is going to be, so mm-hmm. uh, some of that information was presented um, yesterday at the Virginia Associations of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Counties conference. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. we we have an idea of where they're going to be. The superintendent, state superintendent, does send some preliminary information out to the school divisions, so they work off of those numbers.
5: Yeah, this you know this is just this is a, a hard year to to try to project. One, we have a completely new school board. And two, the there 17 of the of the state senators are new. 38 of the House delegates are new. So, I mean, the numbers are really high of, of people who, um, they are. you're right, they are having the, the Senate finance meeting, I think it's happening over the next three days in, in, out in Tyson's, and so we'll see some things then. I think the governor will send this budget down, and, and, and it will kind of be... It won't be DOA, but it certainly won't g- come out like it's going in with, with the sure. new changes. Um, and as of right now, you said that the, the, the superintendent is presenting something to the current school board, right? None of who will be in right. the next school board.
13: The CIP is being presented tonight. to the school board tonight. So that is yep. that is the timing of their process. Oh
5: Yeah, I know, I understand. It's just, this is, this is the first time where we've had nobody returning at all. So it just, yeah, okay, well, I, you know, you and I have talked already about like how I and we can be of, in, of help yeah. so, as the school board comes into
13: office. So what I would say, Chair Randall, is just keep in mind that the budget guidance is most important for the county side right now, mm-hmm. right? So if no, I'm going to support the budget guidance. Yeah, so we're not. <laughs> it's a it's an increase of tax rate to address the school board sure. side. Sure, sure, I know, right? I understand. So. But we think we can get most of it with yes. what we have. But Yeah.
5: No, I'll be supporting this tonight. It just I think we're gonna see some interesting things happen between now and final guidance in January. Oh, I'm sure. So yeah. Thank you.
13: All
0: right. I move that the Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee recommend that the Board of Supervisors direct the county administrator to prepare the FY 2025 proposed budget at the current real property tax rate of 87.5 cents, which approximates the tax rate that would fund county compensation base budget, the opening of new facilities, and the most critical new resource requests and sufficient year-over-year funding for Loudoun County Public Schools with additional expenditure options for the board's consideration at higher real property tax rates. Is there a second? second? Second. by Supervisor Briskman. Any discussion? All right, all in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed say nay. That'll pass 401 with Supervisor Letourneau off the diets. With no further business to conduct, I call this Finance, Government Operations, and Economic Development Committee meeting adjourned.